look, I don't care if Kenny is upset that we didn't vote his match for the match of the year. Just tell me to go over and unblock us. Sorry, I've got something. I'll need you phone you back. Right. Bye. Hey there, you must be the new star. My name is David, the Chief Operating Officer of the Pure Repair Podcast. I'd like to formally welcome you to Pure Repair Towers, the heart of our podcasting operation. It's very nice to meet you. Everything being alright on your first day, I hope. Smashing. Anyway, just wanted to get you into my office. Say hello and give you a bit of a warning. As we are having some system issues at the moment, and it has meant that George does have some sound problems throughout the episode at times. We sent it off to the boys in IT in our Belfast office, but they weren't able to sort it in time for you starting, so sorry about that. But hey, we're working on it, so I'll get my assistant Yoji to show you to your office and keep you briefed in the issue. By the way, you'll need to speak to the receptionist at the front desk about getting you a badge so you can get in and out. And don't forget about your complimentary 10,000 yen voucher to use how you like in the John Lambie Memorial Canteen. Make sure you grab a bite to eat when you can. Alright, well, good luck and I'll speak to you later. And welcome to episode 17 of the Pura Puri podcast. Yes, I'm amazed we've made it this far as well. Um, stay up there. Really <laughs> able to buy drinks. Yeah. Hey, we, we, there's still a chance we won't complete this episode or something terrible will happen. So we might never see our adulthood, the big 18. Well, well Dan, Daniel did leave his oven on. I did, so. I did leave it. <laughs> <That> is... <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Okay. It, unfortunately, it wasn't even just the oven, it was the grill. And um, I was finishing off an omelette, you know, the bit where you put it under for the cheese. So it's got a bit of burnt cheese on the top, but it's, it's fine. I'll, I'll eat it afterwards in my pants and cry. You, uh, you like a bit of cheese on, do you, lad? I, I like a bit of cheese on. Um, I do. Then, yeah. then no one can have the podcast, can they? <laughs> That's true. So. Only about five oh. people are going to get that. Anyway, um, yeah. what we have uh, for you... Sorry, that uh, I'm joined by uh, David and Daniel, in case you, uh, in case you ha- uh, haven't guessed. They've uh, Hello. Uh, jumped the gun on uh, introducing themselves, as they jumped the gun on so many things in life. And, uh, <laughs> hello, what have, hello, hello. <laughs> what we have for you today is uh, part two of two of our um, Hulkamania-era WWF guys in Japan retrospective. Mm. However, before we uh, get into that, it is time for a, another and presumably horrendously out of date edition by the time this is released edition of uh, Stato's Adventures in Pura. How so... dare you I'll have this turned around in two days maybe <laughs> <laughs> David it's amazing you can join us from December 2019 <laughs> yeah. so, so so George what what have you been up to? Adventures I um, 
I went to a rather lovely weekend of uh, women's wrestling at uh, Pro Wrestling Eve, of which I'm uh, something of a regular, despite living a uh, two-hour train journey north of the uh, venue. Um, what they had was a couple of uh, Joshi wrestlers come over for um, a show on Thursday, 27th of uh, September, uh, just to, just in case you were wondering exactly how late this uh, podcast is coming out, and uh, also some shows uh, a couple of days later. However, the Thursday show uh, did feature... Um, not only Chihiro Big Hash Hashimoto from uh, Sendai Girls, but also uh, Hanakimura of Stardom and Wrestle One and uh, Comical and Sexy Pro Wrestling Wave and various other Joshi federations. And uh, yeah, it Big was. Big Hash uh, for the boys in green. Big Hash for the boys in green. That was that. <laughs> we got to see uh, three Chihiro Hashimoto matches over the two days, which was um, uh, somewhat remarkable. She took on uh, Millie McKenzie on the uh, Thursday. Oh, I bet that which was, was good. A, yes, it was a uh, very yeah. much. Uh, Yes, uh, uh, more Germans than uh, uh, the um, the sunbeds at uh, six a.m. That's a, a nice <laughs> Bernard Manning joke for you. And um, on the Saturday, um, Big Hash took on uh, Alpha Female and Viper. Ah. And uh, actually, we covered this on the podcast. Actually, Hashimoto's really good uh, at throwing people around, but also at matches in which the opponent has quite a significant weight advantage on her. Mm. Which was the case in both of those. We got a body slam on Alpha Female and a power bomb out the corner on Viper, neither of which looked like they had any effort behind them at all. It was very, very frightening. Um, after the uh, after the match with Viper, uh, she did her uh, gyun pose, which you may uh, know kind of looks like she's operating. A, uh, yeah, yes, Daniel's doing it on camera yeah, and uh, very accurately uh, for the record. It kind of looks like she's uh, operating a rowing machine, which, uh, judging by the size of her gun, she probably does quite a lot. And uh, and then uh, she noticed going up the stairs that uh, our group, including her brother Mort of Real Hero Archive fame, it was his birthday and so he was absolutely trashed. We were very, very loudly chanting her name. So we got a little uh, private gun as uh, as she went up the stairs, which was uh, rather nice. And uh, met him. Uh, big Mort, uh, Mort went to the Dolphin as well. A dream come true. Oh, he did. And he's, st- he's still alive somehow. Yeah, so um, I was saying that there must have been several um, outbreaks of um, Hanakamura to the tune of, um, well, um, uh, to the tune of, well, I, I can't remember the original, but now, now the thing that everyone just associates with Jeremy Corbyn. The, oh, it's, 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 the, uh, it's noted beat combo, the White Stripes, Daniel. Is it? Is that yeah, Seven Nation Army? Seven Nation Army, yeah. Oh, that it was from? quite a big hit. No, I know what it is, but I've heard Seven Nation Army, but... Uh, 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 oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's the riff from that song that you were just singing. Yeah. That that is quite shocking that you are actually like previously a published music journalist and you could recognise <laughs> Seven Nation. Yeah, I didn't write about any of that shit, did I? Uh, quite a niche cut from the White Stripes. I think we can uh, we can all agree. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I, we, I just... we did actually uh, we did actually get uh, outbreaks of that at uh, several times. The, we, there was also a, a cheeky Anna from uh, from uh, our vicinity just to make her uh, feel at home, like she was uh, yeah. back in Shinkiba first ring amongst all the um, all the sex people. What? Uh, all the nonsense. What is the significance of that? You know, when it, I've always wondered that when it happens in a Japanese match, because you'll often get this to the point that they, they include it on some video games as well in the sound uh, work on it. But you'll be you'll be watching a match and just randomly it'll be quite but the early part of the match where they're going through the technical, you know, uh, maybe uh, exchanges. They're trying to feel each other out and there's that respectful kind of push, and then just some randomer at the back will just shout like, Kabuki! like just like really loud, <laughs> or like Anna, and you just like well on their own. Uh, I watched uh, I watched so much stardom that. Because it kind of used to really bug me when I started watching it, and then I watched so much Stardom that I tuned it out. But then we started making jokes about it on Twitter, and now I just start uncontrollably laughing every time <laughs> there is a sort of outbreak of Mayu or Io or uh, something along those lines. 
when George came up the last time, I was thinking of members being on the train to Dumbarton and just going, EO! <laughs> <laughs> I'm... Oh man! Uh, <laughs> um, the best one is uh, B Priestley. It's just beep. Yeah. Sound like fucking uh, General Melchett. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I, Hannah Kimura was uh, very, very nice, and uh, her English was very, very good as well. Um, oh, she's so going to be a superstar, good. isn't she? In that case, uh, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, she was. She was. She was very charming. We got um, sort of face cheerleader Hannah rather than her stardom gimmick which I think Fedora Man uh, jealously guards like he does all the people in his cellar yeah. and um, <laughs> allegedly and um, so and, but she did uh, offset the cheerleader ensemble with a Ribera Steakhouse jacket which was very very cool oh that's good yeah yeah No, and, I... oh yeah Mako Satomura was there as well yeah, just you know. By the way, I mean, it's just one of the greatest place, wrestlers like, in the know. history of uh, of our great sport. God damn it, was there? But, well, to but... be fair, she is now on more Brett Rest cards than like Bubblegum and El Ghetto, So <laughs> Bubblegum! Oh my god, that is. I, I haven't heard that name for a while. Sad. Bubblegum. I saw I saw him. At, I think it was two years ago. Um, he turned out. He turned out in a city shot. It was the most shit yes. house he'll ever seen. I remember this. He tried to fight a child. Yeah. And it was unbelievably wonderful. Yeah. I love Bubblegum. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think um, I think yeah, out of the two that you just mentioned, like Hashimoto and uh, and Kimura, um, I think Hashimoto is a um, is she's still really young, which is crazy, but she's going to become I think um, excellent. Like she's already very good. Oh yeah. Um, but I think she's going to become really really good as she keeps up with this yeah. rate. All time. Um, yeah. As I'm not just saying this, as soon as um, Vince or whoever's doing doing um, his um, his uh, his sort of nefarious um, um, uh, plumbing of the depths of various of the um, promotions around the world to steal all the talent these days, whether it's Triple H or whoever else. As soon as they clap eyes on Hannah Kimura, I think she's she's there. there she there. is gone. She is gonna so take gone. her because like she is like um I'm not I, mean, I know it's a bit weird because she's only like 21 and I'm like 32, but she is like distractingly attractive. Like she is like just <laughs> genuinely beautiful. Like so they're gonna take that and they're gonna just. I, I can I've got all these horrible images in my head of them just making these awful kind of like sexed up like gimmicks for and things and I'm just like oh please don't but uh, yeah I think she um one day she could be um she could head stateside especially if she's da- part of da- da- Daniel you, I mean you're you're talking about uh, awful sexed up gimmicks uh, have you th- heard of something called Joshi <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 but I mean like uh, uh, the uh, kind of more vulgar Americanized version that doesn't rely quite as much on pederasty. Uh, for its aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is true. Like, I mean, there's a lot of characters in, well, particularly Stardom, who are sort of sexy idol types. But actually, when they get in the ring, they're they're generally all about hitting people really hard. As yeah, it, she's uh, good in the ring, Hannah Kimura. I like her. I've, I've, the matches I've seen of hers, I've, I've liked actually. Um, I think she's been. Uh, her match, she wrestled Sammy Jane. It was very good. Pretty good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was um was was uh, was Big Hash um as uh as built in real life as she seems. I know it's a stupid question, but I remember when, I, when we went to see the Stardom um, 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 workers for the first time, it was Yoshirai, Mayu Iwatani, and Kari Hojo, now Kari Sane. And even though I knew they were all small people, um, I was still shocked by quite how small um, they were. Like, uh, so yeah. what, what's, what's it like to be up close with like Big Hash, who's famous for having a very well, different she, build? To she's, like, she's like 5'1", five, 5'2". Five, okay. But like, I can't, I cannot overemphasize how incredibly dense she is. It is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Like when you're up close to her and you, you, you're sort of uh, talking to her, like buying, buying some merch and you're like, she's very, she's very nice and polite and uh, seems, uh, she has like a really 
timid, kind-sounding voice, but she could definitely break me with one arm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Chihiro Hashimoto, to give her a nickname, uh, Dame Judy Hench. Dame Judy Hench. Hey, very, very good. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. She's just like, yeah, she's an incredible, like, physical um, uh, shape, you know? Like, if, um, anyone that's never seen her wrestle before, check out some of her matches. Like, the fact that she just looks, like, so built, like, especially in comparison to a lot of the other, like, smaller women that she's wrestling, gives, like, a lot of her um, moves just th- this, that feeling of, like, credibility uh, credibility and legitimacy, um, which can sometimes be lost if there's, like, the work as a smaller person. But, yeah, she's great. Yeah, she, she was definitely number one on my bucket list, so I'm very pleased yeah, to have uh, scratched that particular I was, bitch. I was glad to see that you, you took that one off. That was good. Uh, I'm incredibly jealous, because like, I was off the Thursday, Friday, and I was severely tempted to just get, like, some sort of overpriced Ryanair flight down at like half six in the morning, come down for big cash, uh, but alas, not to be. Uh, yeah, I, I did have my own adventure over the weekend though. I was oh, go on, David, yeah. David's Adventures in Dunfermline. <laughs> yes, uh, please. <laughs> so I went, I went to the Thistle game uh, in Dunfermline with uh, friends of the show, Mark and uh, Juicy the Cat, uh, aka Matt. Um, we he, Matt literally just went for the brideys because uh, you have a bridey the size of a dinner. You should plate. probably explain what a bridey uh, is for those who haven't lived in Scotland. It, I love bridey. It's sort of like a uh, like an amalgamation between a pie and a sausage roll yeah. and a pass uh, and a pasty yeah. together. Yeah. But they are honestly like the, the biggest things you've ever seen in your life. Um, and yeah, they're incredible. And he's like, I'm just here for the brideys. I don't give a fuck about the football. We're terrible. <laughs> uh, and sure enough, we were terrible. We lost with the most absolute like, comical slapstick goal you've ever seen in your fucking life and at that point I was just like why am I in Fife why am I even here what am I doing with my life um, a sentence many people I'll... have said before to themselves why am I in Fife yes uh, but I'd like to shout out to the Brig Fish and Chip Shop which was one of the best fucking fish suppers I've ever had in my life really? every single person I met oh it was so good Every I, I'm, I asked my friend from Dunfermline like can you recommend a good chippy because that's my thing whenever I go somewhere for a an away game, I always find the best chippy. And every single person I know from Dunfermline said, the brig. So if you're ever in Dunfermline, that's, make it priority to go there. But um, yeah, uh, but yeah, like, it was shite. But, you know, I, I, it was nice to go to Dunfermline, I suppose. Uh, go go see big countries, big countries homeland. That's right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was good. Um, I used to always yeah, get big country uh, and the Blue Nile mixed up with both Scottish fans up from different places. Yeah, and like each other, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah. But, but no, I, a fun time was had also. While um, George was schmoozing away with Chihiro Hashimoto and Hannah Kimura, I was sitting and fucking working Saturday and Sunday. Uh, well, he was like uh, schmoozing away with Martin Jackson and stuff like that. Uh, did you stay at Jackson's, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, that was the other thing, actually. Um, uh, Hannah Kimura did the usual um japanese wrestling star thing of only bringing over like five or six t-shirts because they don't think they'll have many fans in the west and they definitely do um is this like when johnny saint went to shikara and he thought that nobody had ever seen him yeah 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 or manami toyota uh, thought that as well when she got booked yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, you know, but, um, sorry uh, just before you finish that quickly my favorite uh, instance of that is um is uh, kabashi but before he worked uh, that, the famous Samoa Joe match in like what 2005 in in the US, um, yes, yes, where um, he thought that <laughs> he thought he was going to go out there and basically um, 
do do a um do do like a Tojo Yamamoto or like a Mr. Fuji and just be like in a various like ah, like evil heel. <laughs> like, he was like, oh, I, I'm ever, not gonna ever, lie. Everyone, everyone, everyone I'll do the Japanese guy. They'll never have heard of me. And Joe was like, I'm not gonna I, lie. I idea. would have probably like. I kind of wish that had happened <laughs> in a no. weird way. I kind of wish we got evil pantomime Butlins Hill Kenta Kabashi. Imagine. He's going for the Pearl Harbor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, Jackson had uh, the last one of Hanakimura's t-shirts, which was like two sizes too big for him, uh, just <laughs> so he could get it. The other thing, actually, um, uh, Hannah noticed my uh, comical and sexy pro wrestling wave t-shirt that I was wearing and she said uh, do you like wave and uh, I said I said yes I didn't have to lie like I did to Minoru Suzuki when he uh, asked if I like Noah because I was uh, wearing a Noah t-shirt actually that's that's like that's that's unfair I do like Noah but I think even the promotion's most ardent fans would concur that the yes indeed would concur that the Suzuki gun invasion was maybe not a peak for them um so is yeah. Yano winning all the belts that was their peak Yano <laughs> stealing all the belts yeah, so just like just um, like Konami is going to. Um, so what and of course, um, big, yeah. oh, big news today. Um, oh, after yeah. months and months of contract wranglings, you know, no competes, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, a big free agent came on today because, of course, Killerman, uh, Killer Valley, who got his clearance to play for Patrick Fissel and some Jordy, who turned up in Dragon Gate as well. <laughs> hey, yes, sir, that's very good. Yes. Mm. Uh, the the hottest free agent in wrestling. Oh, I didn't actually. So I didn't actually. Hear, I didn't actually hear that about um about uh Neville. Yeah, yeah. But breaking news, he's back in Dragon Gate. Dragon Gate. Ah. Well, uh, but sadly, my uh, my uh, angle to have him turn up in NCL with Mike Ashley threatening to take uh, him uh, and then have him Red Arrow Mike Ashley did not happen. That would be phenomenal. So, if you've got a fireplace, Mike Ashley will throw up in it for money. He will. I mean, so will I, to be fair, but I'm probably less of a less of a catch, really, in terms of like my media profile than Mike Ashley. So you might want to defer to him on that. Daniel, I understand you have uh, the uh, lesser spotted Daniel's Avengers in Wrestling to regale us with. Yeah, it's it's not quite George's Avengers in Puro, I'm afraid, because it doesn't actually involve any Japanese um, uh, wrestlers um, or promotions. But um, I wanted to, um, while I'm still living um, in in Madrid as I am at the minute, um, which is something which unfortunately might not be going on for. Too much longer because I'm out and there's um, uh, it's a bit of a private thing, but I have some family stuff back home I might have to go and attend to. I sound like a gangster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, no, but it's, uh, yeah. So, um, but um, anyway, while I'm here, I thought I'd, um, I'd, I'd, I'd give people a bit of um, an overview of the promotion that I've been going to watch while I've been in Madrid, um, uh, which I guess um, some people may know, um, especially people listening to this podcast who are kind of keyed into the world of independent wrestling. Um, but maybe for other people that um, are maybe more puro orientated that listen to us, they might be even surprised to learn that there is um, quite a, um, a, um, a, a successful um, um, independent wrestling promotion in Madrid. Um, as we've said many times before, the name of the promotion um, is a little bit unfortunate because it does sound a little bit like the nom de guerre of a white nationalist terrorist. Um, but uh, it's called um, uh, Triple W, uh, so White Wolf Wrestling. You may know some of their um, some of their, uh, their workers from um, the um, from Shikara. Um, they were involved in King of Trios. That's right, isn't it, George? You've... Yeah, last year with one that was in Wolverhampton. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And we've also just been mentioned just before this this show actually, which was um, a match that I saw um, um, a few months ago actually. Um, it was in the summer actually. Um, it was um, a kid, um, which is who's one of the he's, he's pretty much the, the the in my opinion the, the best worker they've got. Um, he's a, a young young really talented guy. Um, and he was up against uh, Zack Sabre Jr., um, who they brought over. 
um, in a match that I believe um, I believe Meltzer has given five stars to you, you told me just before, George. Um, so this is actually available on YouTube if anyone wants to watch it. I recommend you check that out. But basically, just to give you an idea of, 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 of White Wolf, I recently went to a White Wolf show that's uh, led to Bacalera. Is it in a compound in the woods? <laughs> it's not quite in a compound in the woods. Um, it's in the, their, their home base. So they're kind of the, the, the ECW arena. Uh, of, uh, uh, if you will, um, equivalent, um, really, their, their home sort of um, uh, a venue is a place called La Tabacalera, which um, means, uh, which basically it's um, the, the tobacco factory, because it used to be a tobacco factory and uh, it's in a district of um, Madrid called La Rapiez, um, which um, does, the district does contribute a lot to the atmosphere of the shows because La Rapiez is um, famously um, one of the most multicultural um, areas of any city in Europe. Um, it's got a very large um, immigrant population from Africa, um, from um, 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 the, the Middle East, um, and all over, really, um, as, as well. And La, La, La Tabacalera is an incredible, incredible place because um, I, can't, I don't know exactly about the ownership, but I think it's um, community or um, owned, or it might be owned by a kind of like a, a, a trust of people who all run it collectively together. And it's this enormous old tobacco factory, which has obviously been gutted. But it's this um, a big room at the top uh, where they have the shows. This room is, is rented out every night of the week for various different things. It could be a salsa dancing. It could be a club night. Uh, it could be um, uh, something, uh, an event for like old people and pensioners. There's all sorts of big fashion shows, like any community um, the, uh, sort of group that wants to rent it can. Um, and the great thing about it being at La Tabacalera is that um, not only is it an incredibly interesting venue, because underneath you've got this like warren of different rooms where you can go down uh, outside for a smoke and you'll walk past, um, for example, one of the best reggae sound systems in Madrid who rent out that room to, to practice their sets on and stuff. Or you'll see an artist's exhibition in one of the rooms or someone's got a pop-up shop selling food or whatever. It's really interesting. Um, and it's a great venue, brilliantly atmospheric. Um, and the even greater thing about this, which will blow a lot of people's minds, I think, to be honest, is that... These are regular shows. They do at least one a month. And these are completely free. Um, you do not have to pay to go to these shows. And as I said, they now they do a lot of imports now and stuff. You know, you've got the people of the caliber of Zack Sabre Jr. Um, Jordan Devlin's been booked recently. Uh, Session Moth um, 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 is always there. Uh, you know, like, um, so um, it, it's now beginning to become more prominent. And the atmosphere in it is brilliant. I would compare it very much to something like, um, if, I guess, like Shikara with an edge. It is family friendly, but there is also kind of um, a little bit more of a kind of um, uh, because it's, you know, there's a lot of kind of um, uh, drinkers and like um, sort of bohemian types that go to these shows as well, uh, as well as people just sort of wandering in for a laugh. It's got this kind of uh, very, very atmospheric. Um, it's, it reminds me a bit of when I go and watch Rayo Vallecano play. You know, it's that kind of Spanish football vibe, lots of chants, um, uh, very atmospheric. And uh, yeah, you, you, you have to get there early. You've got to queue up for a long time. But thankfully, as everywhere where there's a queue in Madrid, you'll get your men walking about with their bags selling you one euro uh, uh, cans of mouth that you can drink while you're there. Um, you get in. The the price of things inside is incredibly cheap. Um, you can get um, a can of beer for like uh, one euro, one euro fifty. Um, there's no seating, uh, which upsets me because I'm very bad at standing these days. But other than that, it's a great place to watch wrestling. And the promotion itself, um, I think it's really interesting to me because... It's, it's great for me to be able, be able to be able to go and see this and experience it because really, and I, I, I think I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm talking down by saying this, obviously the scene in continental Europe for, for wrestling, it, it is lagging behind in terms of development and in terms of history when you compare it to, say, for example, the UK or somewhere like Germany, maybe, you know, where you've got the two, 
all the biggest promotions in in, in Europe, you know, are, are either English or, or German, really. And you have to remember that you know we've got a real heritage of of, of this stuff in in our country um, that that doesn't really exist um, in in Spain, even in the way that something like the old French cat tradition does in in France. It's not really that doesn't really happen in Spain. So this promotion is really you're seeing it kind of um, be born from absolutely nothing. Like um, they've started their own training school now, which is great, but really. In Madrid, there's not that many places for these people to train um, or people to train them. Um, so you're really seeing kind of the first generation of, of, of Spanish wrestlers who are actually trying to bring the, the whole level of the scene up to the same standards um, as, the, as, as other parts of Europe. So this means that the shows are never perfect. The work um, can be um, not always on point. Um, A-Kid is by far the best worker they have. They have some other decent guys as well. But, um, you know, things can be rough around the edges with them. Um, things can be a bit sloppy. And things can maybe um, not always go to plan. There's often a few botches. Nothing dangerous or anything, but like the odd bit of mistiming. But none of that should put anyone off watching it because the, 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 the workers, these people put in such a huge effort on their shows and they're improving every, every time I see them. Like it's incredible how, how, how much they improve every time I see them. Um, and they're all doing this completely for the, the love of it. They're, they're, they're getting paid nothing. These shows are for free. They're making money only on merch. And it's all being done to build their name and get them out there. So I thought I'd, I'd, I'd do that today on the show is kind of promote that a bit. Um, now, the show is called Cuenta Atras, which means countdown in Spanish. And it's kind of the countdown to the end of the year and the start of the new one. It's a show that they, they usually have. Jupiter is a guy. Was he in the um Shikara King of Trios Jupiter he wasn't it was uh, A-Kid uh, Adam Chase who now goes by the name of Carlos Romo and uh, Rod Zayas who I uh, think is the booker yeah that's right he, he books it yeah very yeah. suave um, mustachioed yeah. man yeah yes yeah he books it yeah yeah um, yeah, so um, um, Adam Chase and, um, and um, the um, uh, I think they're called the Rebel Bikers um, which is amazing because it's it's literally it, it, it's literally meant to be like a biker gang gimmick but i just always think of the hairy bikers whenever i see them um the uh, the cooking duo now what's even better about this show to me is that i was just going through trying to find out the card before and i came across a graphic that they put up on their facebook page basically the idea is that um they are asking fans that come to the show um in aid of disadvantaged families um so like uh, you know like uh, poor families basically in the area because there's a lot of poverty in in that part of madrid as well um, they're asking fans to bring things and um, that they're going to donate um, to community causes um, uh, that help disadvantaged families. And there's a list of things you can bring, puedes aportar, so it's like pasta, um, like food, um, anything that you can use that's um, like uh, in tins that can be conserved for a long time, um, uh, products for toiletries, clothes. I've, I've seen these kind of like hardcore gigs in Glasgow where yes. they'll have like for the food bank where, you know, you yeah. you can pay a fiver or you can bring a bag of stuff for the food bank and you get yeah. it for free. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, really good thing. And I'm it's surprised brilliant. that more people should, should be doing it really. I especially agree. like UK, but no, I, I, it seems like they've, it seems really, really good. There is a lot of, I see a lot of like echoes of like that sort of hardcore underground. Absolutely. Thing. I mean, even like, even like the venue is very much like, I don't know if you yeah. remember Kenning Park Complex. Yeah, of course. Glasgow. Of course. Yeah, it's very like, yeah, that was an old abandoned school and then they've, mm. uh, you know, they did it all up. I, I remember I painted part of it and all that. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like they have loads and loads of weird different things and you go in and there'll be like a band rehearsing like 
Yeah, you know, exactly. Like brooms down or whatever. It's, it's brilliant. It, it, like it really, really makes you feel involved. Not you're not just going to a wrestling show. You're kind of you're being involved in the yeah. in the wider life of the area, you know. And you, you might run across things. You might see like a little pop up shop or talk to people that are in a band or whatever. And it's like it's more than just a wrestling show, you know. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's really great. Um, so please have a Google search for them, like them on Twitter. Um, we'd really, really, really um, like to sort of get the word out about them because it's a small promotion that's just starting out and they're doing really well for themselves and they're a bit of a sort of beacon for, for wrestling at the moment in, in, in Spain. Um, and um, yeah, they're, they're a great promotion. So, Well, I, that, that sounds great. I mean, and I would even say like... Um... Even if you're just going for like the weekends to Spain or mm. something like that, similar to like you know I go down to London for like Eve or like something like that. Yeah. Like it 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 sounds like a really really fun like even just it's similar to like you know when people go to like Germany for like a Bundesliga game or something mm. like mm. that. Like the mm. idea you can plan a weekend round just going to Madrid. Oh and yeah. Going to these events, I think that's yeah. so much fun. And if you and if you'd like a personal tip, over the road from La La, La, La there is um a um a small bar uh, that serves vegan food as well. It's all very cheap. And it's uh, called Lucanicos. Um, those of you who are in the know about your um, your um, legendary leftist um, um, uh, anti-police dogs in Greece during austerity riots, oh yes, uh, will, oh, yeah, yeah. will know where that name comes yeah. from. So it's a yeah. nice, um, it's a nice. If you share some of the politics of this podcast, you should go in there for a pint as well and give them some money uh, because um, they're uh, they're good people. So yeah, that's uh, that, that's it really. That's, that's what I wanted to sort of dig up there. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so what we have uh, coming up for you in the main part of the show is four more matches involving prominent Hulkamania-era WWF wrestlers plying their trade in Japan for one reason or another. So we're, going, we're still going in chronological order. So we are now on the 16th of June, 1992. And when I saw this match existed, it's not a notable or especially good match, but when I saw that this had taken place, I thought, we fucking have to do this. So it is um, SWS, Super World of Sports. It's a six-man tag uh, pitting the team of Genichiro Tenryu, Ashurahara, and Ultimo Dragon versus Jerry Estrada, Kamala, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh. Can I just ask right now, what the fuck is this? What the actual <laughs> fuck is this? I'm, I'm okay, gonna, well... I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is probably the worst match we've ever... Reviewed. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah, it it actually <laughs> might be. We'll 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 tell you exactly why it's so bad. Firstly, I think I should maybe explain what the what the hell SWS is. Yeah, let's. Uh, that so first. this was uh, the promotion. It's a giant money laundering scheme for a glasses <laughs> company. Alleg- yes, it was financed by um, Japan's biggest maker of eyeglasses and. Uh, Basically, what they did was poach away top uh, All Japan star Genichiro Tenryu, the man known as Mr. Perorosu, literally Mr. Wrestling. He is to wrestling in Japan what uh, Mike Hussey is to cricket in Australia. Um, that's, 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 that's a uh, reference for, again, a very, very finite number of people. And yeah, he, he took with him uh, a lot of his... Uh, uh, trainees such as Ashurahara, who you will see in this match, and basically formed his own promotion with uh, Blackjack and Hookers. And it started out uh, quite strong on Temryu's name value, uh, but quickly fell away. And uh, Temryu was um, banished from All Japan by the uh, the owner uh, Matoko Barber, uh, or well, Giant Barber and Matoko Barber. But um, as we might have mentioned before, uh, Matoko was the person who did. Uh, giant barber's uh, dirty work in the same way that you know Jerry Adams may or may not have had uh, certain people uh, doing the dirty work uh, uh, for him. Uh, maybe he just made the explosives. He didn't plant them. <laughs> he was never a member uh, of the IRA. He was never on the Army Council. Uh, and uh, oh, look at his big bushy beard. 
<laughs> and, is that Baba uh, you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm there on the council. Uh, apparently a whole 4% of uh, people in the Republic of Ireland uh, believe Joey Adams is uh, denial that he was ever in the bar. So uh, <laughs> I'm genuinely surprised it's that high. Uh, but any, anyway, so um, yeah, what, what you had in, uh, and actually Temryu uh, di- didn't uh, end up back in uh, all Japan until after Giant Barber had died and they had the split with uh, most of the roster going to Noah and all Japan were very, very desperate. And uh, Matoko Barber, who was then in sole charge of the company, was desperate enough to bring back in Temu and actually give him a fairly lengthy run with the Triple Crown when he was in his early 50s. And he was putting on some very, very good matches uh, in that time. Age did not catch up with this man until like long after it should have, considering the uh, style that he worked. Um, also in this match, we have um, Ashurahara, who uh, I probably know most for... Uh, he used to be in All Japan. He was actually fired before SWS was uh, set up because he was uh, in uh, had some gambling debts owed to some legitimate businessmen, and they uh, started turning up at All Japan shows to try and collect from him. And uh, John Barber was like, "I would never be involved with any criminal element. We can't have this. Get out." Um, Ultimo Dragon, David, you've got a very tangential connection with him. Yes, uh, I, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but Ultimo Dragon once stayed at my uh, my wife's cousin's house. Uh, he was once on an SWA show in Muddle, and he got dinner um, at her house, and he, she referred to him as uh, Yoshihiro. And was like, you met Ultimo Dragon? Oh, Yoshihiro? Yeah, he's a great guy. I'm like, you're on first name terms. Uh, Exposing the you. business. Exposing the business, yes, but uh, you know, yeah, he, he, I can't believe he worked in Motherwell. I was, I was also, I seem to believe that was on my birthday, and I, I, I ended up getting pissed somewhere, and I kind of regret it now. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, Ultimo Dragon, Motherwell's finest export. That is, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, legendary junior heavyweight. Uh, you, you may, you may know him from that rather bombastically awesome picture of him with uh, ten championship belts, which were the eight uh, junior heavyweight belts that were combined in 1996 to form the J Crown, and also two other belts he just snuck in there for sh- uh, shits and giggles. Uh, you may also, you may also know him for uh, slipping on his cape at WrestleMania 20, which is so unfortunate because he really just wanted to have a run in the Fed yeah. and uh, work at WrestleMania, and he did, and people kind of remember it for that which is a shame because he was a fantastic it's a, it's a real shame because that match as well because his, one, his two dreams in wrestling were to uh, wrestle at Wrestlemania and wrestle at Madison Square Garden he'd done them both at the same time and fucking slipped in his cave oh, um, oh, I know but, um, but you know he'll, 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 Ultimo All Belts. he'll just have to settle for essentially inventing an entire new subgenre of, of, of pro wrestling you know so yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's that, he's, he's, he's still got an awful lot of um of, uh, you went some, towards, some. you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was uh, episode. I think it was episode ten when we mentioned uh, Toyamon. Yeah. 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 So listen. Yeah. So that, that's the whole thing that yeah, uh, he yeah. sort of kicked off with uh, Dragon Door and uh, promotions like that. Yeah. So yeah, um, uh, he's he's a very very excellent junior heavyweight wrestler. You probably see much evidence of that in this match. But uh, on the other team, we have uh, Jerry Estrada, yeah. who uh, isn't isn't a main focus for us. He was uh, somewhat of a mainstay in. Uh, uh, EMLL as it was then which right. uh, changed its name to CMLL the oldest uh, Lucha Libre and indeed oldest wrestling promotion in the world quite what he's doing here I'm I'm not sure but uh, he spent a bit of time in Japan so you know he's very much a body in this uh, match I'm really not an expert on him Daniel you probably know a bit more yeah 
I was gonna say it's like when you have a game of sevens uh, with your pals and somebody drops out because like you know they have to go to the pictures or their girlfriend and you have to pull in somebody of any note whatsoever who can just fill a defender position. Um, <laughs> this feels it with Jerry Estrada in this match. Yeah, I I kind of feel a bit sorry for him in this match because I'm not entirely, entirely sure if fucking glue was going on. Um, if Tenry just got a text an hour before going, yeah. sorry man, I can't I can't make it. Just, yeah. yeah and he's just, Jerry, can you make, can you turn up? Yeah, sure. What, 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 pounds. What's the exact year on this again? 1992. Right, because in 1992 that was when um, that was the year that Estrada. I don't I can't remember when, but that was the year that Estrada left CMLL to um, for the upstart um, AAA promotion. Um, ah, yes, it was, an, it was early 92. Right, okay, so I'd have to check on that, but I don't know whether or not um, AAA had um, this was part of some kind of deal AAA had maybe made because obviously. Traditionally, um, CMLL um, has been aligned with um, with New Japan in terms of like an exchange of talent and, and things like that. So I don't know maybe if, if this was a, a young AAA and a young SWS, very short-lived, um, trying to work out some kind of um, cross-promotional thing or, or, or what, I'm not sure. But um, the other cross-promotion SWS had at the time was with the World Wrestling Federation. So uh, the WWF had had a host of working agreements uh, with uh, Pro Promotions uh, in the past, notably the one that they have with uh, New Japan, which uh, lasted sort of through the late 70s and all of the 80s, to the extent that uh, New Japan president Hisashi Shimma was uh, at one point the kayfabe president of the WWF uh, Board of Directors as well. And uh, not not only did uh, New Japan stars go to the WWF, but also... Uh, you know, the, the other way around, um, WWF actually sanctioned a range of uh, championship belts uh, for New Japan, most notably probably the WWF Junior Heavyweight yeah. Championship, which uh, Tatsumi Fujinami yeah. made famous in the early 80s before moving up to the heavyweight division. Um, and when that promo- that uh, working agreement ended, they uh, hooked up with uh, Tenryu and SWS. Uh, Tenryu actually has competed uh, at a, a WrestleMania. Yes. Uh, partnering with, uh, I think it's WrestleMania uh, six, seven. maybe yeah. six or seven. And he's in yes, a rumble he, as well, isn't he? He is in a rumble. Yeah, I can't remember what year, but he's in a rumble. Yeah. He's, he's actually undefeated at WrestleMania. Uh, yeah. Him and his uh, partner, noted noted shit house Koji Katao, went over uh, uh, demolition. Uh, so uh, that's that's a nice nice little weird uh, tidbit. Uh, coming over from the WWF to SWS for this match, we have uh, Kamala, the Ugandan uh, in all the inverted commas in the world, the Ugandan giant. If you know wrestling, you know Kamala. You know what his uh, yeah. deal was. He was one of these incredibly racially problematic gimmicks that was uh, kept going for uh, rather longer than it maybe uh, should have. Yeah. What's um, that? You want me to rub the moons on your belly? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, one so of my moments what, of what's for dinner? Time. Pot boiled colonialist. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, yeah, yes, indeed. Um, uh, roads must two out of three falls. <laughs> God. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so uh, yeah, you know Kamal's deal was he was a big, big man wrestler, rubbed his uh, belly a lot. Uh, very good at sort of. We'll see it in this match actually. The sort of timber selling where he sort of. Uh, wobbling around, looking like he's almost about to fall, and like a sort of finger poke of doom style thing would send him uh, crashing down to the ground. He's, he's um, genuinely my favourite person of all time for selling like that. I, I mean, he, that. he has um, he has body slammed uh, Andre the Giant, as I think we mentioned in the uh, in the last episode. 
Um, and uh, if we didn't, I'm sure several nerds have on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, David, don't knock nerds there, our uh, principal and indeed only audience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I, I actually, uh, this is probably not the time of the place because it's a Japanese wrestling podcast, but I've, um, I think Kamal is a little bit unfairly maligned, actually. Um, I actually think that for what he is um, and for the spots that he took in most promotions that he was in throughout his career, whether it was in um, like you know um, sort of Memphis or um, or I think I've seen some stuff with him in Texas as well uh, from back in the day. Um, he, he's always kind of for what it is, you know, as, as, as cringesome as the gimmick can be. Um, he does it about as well as anyone. He genuinely looks like you know like he's not quite sure what's going on, or and and, and that he's taking direction and that he is just like not aware of his own strength. It's that kind of like. Um, you know the whole um, the the whole sort of Frankenstein, the James Whale style Frankenstein. I don't know my own strength. Oh no, I've just you know hurt someone badly. Now I'm upset by it. He does that quite well. Um, you know he's yeah. a underrated. Come on, I think. You've had like a number of wrestlers do the Savage gimmick, but uh, well, Savage. I'm, I'm yeah. The, the, uh, you know uh, when I say Savage, that was what they were. You know denoted as. I'm certainly not implying anything about. No, about, no, that's you know, what they were sold yeah. to us as, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to track back. Did you just see James Whale? Type of selling, as in the talk sport, pre- the old talk sport no, pundit. No, not the um the the horrible um cretinous <laughs> old fart James Whale. He used to present stuff on the radio on talk sport. He's a reactionary right wing blowhard. For anyone that doesn't know that in in the UK, a bit of a sleaze ball as well. He's uh, been on the radio for years. I was talking about James Whale, the um the the director of classic um Universal horror pictures Frankenstein and uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, that's fine, yeah. no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Although it, did, it always did used to amuse me when I was um, when I was younger that those those two people shared the same name. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't want to get them confused. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, also uh, p- appearing alongside oh, uh, former uh, ROH title challenger against uh, uh, Brian Danielson on some uh, yeah. shitty indie match, which uh, ended in DQ. You do have to uh, pro- protect Kamala after all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> alongside him, um, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, um, Daniel, Hacksaw Jim Duggan <laughs> is in one of your favourite matches of all time, yeah. which are... Now, now we play. Can Daniel remember the five oh. component parts of the oh, ridiculous no. gimmick that this match was? Okay, actually, because I genuinely can't, I'm not going to look it up. So I'll, I'll try my best. And um, so, for anyone yeah, who doesn't right. know, this is a match that took place in Mid South in the eighties. Okay, it was um, Duggan or Dugan, as um, as it was often pronounced on commentary by Bill Watts, um, up against them, um, yeah, former member of the um, the Rat Pack alongside him, um, um, Ted DiBiase, uh, the, the Million Dollar Man. It's in a cage. So it's a cage match. They have to get the coal miner's glove. So it's cage match, coal miner's glove, loser leaves town, uh-huh. tuxedo, yes. no DQ. Yes, I believe that is it. Very well done. I think that's right. Full house. And it sounds yeah. like the most ridiculous match in the world. And it is in a lot of ways, but it's also one of the best brawls of the 80s. It's phenomenal. I encourage everyone to check that out. Yeah, I mean, what uh, Jim Duggan was known for uh, primarily in the, or, yeah, or you, pretty much only in the WWF was, uh, well, being the uh, winner of the first Royal Rumble, which uh, assured him of a payday uh, coming out and flopping around in uh, numerous subsequent Royal Rumbles as a sort of legendary entrant, but for playing the sort of uber patriotic uh, USA gimmick, yeah. uh, basically coming out with uh, with Old Glory, uh, he uh, he actually does that uh, does that here. 
and uh, with a big uh, two by four and uh, drawing on his uh, American football background in uh, a lot of his uh, his offense. Yeah. So, um, I mean, as far as a demonstration of what Duggan is about, uh, don't worry, there is uh, copious examples of it uh, in this match. Bless him. Yeah, that's, Bless that's, his heart for what he tries to do in this match. He just he doesn't quite get it. He doesn't read the tenor of the room right, but he keeps on plugging away, bless him. He's such oh a professional God, in this so match. Funny. It reminds me, have you ever seen that uh, WCW match where it's him against, oh, I can't remember who it is, uh, it's at some WCW jobber, and like 30 seconds in, Tony Schiavone implies that uh, Jim Duggan is a collegiate athlete, and Bobby Heenan loses it, <laughs> and like, spends the rest of the match just gutting himself. And he like this entire match is just him laughing, trying to compose himself and failing miserably. <laughs> and every time, and every time he like he'll compose himself and then Huggin will just go, oh, and he'll just burst out laughing again. <laughs> it's just, honestly, it's one of my favorite matches of all time because uh, Bobby De Bruyne Heenan just is gone. So funny. I think there used to be a compilation clip of that where someone's taken out all the bits of the match and just had like the bits read corpses or. I think that might have existed at some point on the internet. Yeah. Uh, pretty great. It's Bobby Heenan's House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, <laughs> Hopefully not. So, um, um, so the uh, teams come out. Um, Genoshiro Temu's theme, uh, Thunderstorm, by Masayoshi Takanaka. Very, very classic. awesome. A uh, bit of a humble brag. Can play it on the guitar. Not well, but I can. It's, <laughs> uh, it's a very cool piece of sort of uh, 80s mm. funk rock. I yeah. would uh, recommend <laughs> giving it a listen. It's going to be the theme of our inevitable cop show pilot. Uh, our, our, our triple team cop show where we go I've, around to Belfast trying to find the cache. Trying to find the six foot seven Japanese guy. I've actually got Temu's cop show theme like literally written on my notes. So yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, that's very good. Uh, so we start off with the uh, two junior heavyweights in this match. Uh, Estrada and Ultimo Dragon do a little bit of uh, mat wrestling. Uh, while all this is going on, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is striding <laughs> along on the apron going, Ho! Which was, that was his catchphrase, uh, wasn't it? If you, uh, it was remember. indeed. He, You'd be in no, no uncertain doubt about, about that by the time he finished <laughs> watching this match. He gets a, he does get a response uh, from the crowd. My theory is that uh, they Oh, well, hang on. He, he kind of does. He, it, it takes him yeah. a while. Let's not... It does, but it, I think the, the first time he does it... Uh, he does get a response. Uh, yeah, Jumbo Saruta used to do uh, this. Uh, he would raise his arm and make a, a similar sort of noise. Jumbo Saruta, however, would do it once in a match <laughs> yeah. after oh, yeah. doing a big move, not ad infinitum at every possible moment. Jumbo would do it to uh, like signal a narrative shift in the match, or, or to, to signal that things are about to be taken up or down a gear or whatever. Right? You know, like Doug yes. just bless him. He does it once. No reaction. Just crickets, right? And so, we, in, in the time on a tradition of the just, you're, you're always working, you're always on American wrestler. He doesn't let that stop him. He just keeps trying, and eventually, I feel like his um his enthusiasm for it uh, kind of does win him a few more uh, fans in the audience, and they, they do sort of start to, to to react to it. But at the start, it's pretty uncomfortable. Put it this way. Uh, Duggan does so many hoes it would make the Godfather blush. <laughs> <laughs> More hoes than his 2002 Royal Rumble entrance. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of a hosepipe band joke, but I can't think of one, so it doesn't matter. Uh, well, it's a wonderful piece of comedy, and it's just you'll be watching this match, kind of zoning out, and then just suddenly you hear, 
ho, and then you'll hear like so like four Japanese businessmen in the crowd going, oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he just by the end of the match, he kind of he kind of wears them down and gets them into he it, does. and then it goes the other way again. So by the end of the match, he's going, oh, and the crowd is going, oh. <laughs> it reminded me a bit <laughs> of like you know when you were younger and you were in school, you've got a teacher who's clearly out of their depth, but you you like them. Uh, and you, yeah. you kind of want them to do well. So you kind of say to the other kids, like, "Oh, come on, don't don't take the piss. Like, come on, uh, this this guy, he's having a tough time with it, this guy, you know." Like, I feel like that that might have rippled through the crowd a bit, and people must have been like, "Oh, come on, we'll have to give him some sort of response." Uh, you know. Well, seeing that the, the teacher that happened to in my school threw a chair at a, a student, <laughs> so it didn't turn out too well for him. <laughs> Perhaps not. No. Uh, two by four, were, were any two by fours involved in this vicious uh, infant assault? <laughs> not that I know of, no. <laughs> that's good. That's good so, to know. I put my mind at rest. It is. Uh, so uh, Kamala comes in and mouths off to the ref. Uh, d- two more hoes from uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Then uh, get some wrestling. A bit of rope running from the uh, the uh, Lucha guys. Estrada dodges a kick and does a clothesline. Lovely uh, double wrist lock. Mm. And uh, Dragon leaps over estrada and uh, does a sunset flip out of this double wrist lock that's really that's a really cool spot i like yeah. it a uh, bit more lucha stuff and dragon flips back to his feet we get the indie standoff and then we get the face off you've all been waiting for jenichiro timryu versus hacksaw jim duggan uh duggan does his sort of trademark pose uh where he sort of uh has his <laughs> this is really funny this he time. has his uh arms by his uh he's sort of hands by his side and sort of puffs his uh chest out um the crowd, Rick Dozan was known for that pose, actually. Like, this is, he's, 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 he's now mimicked uh, Jumbo Saruta and Ricky Dozan. And you just know he has no fucking clue he has done either. Is, is the Eva Marie Tanahashi no. guitar strum? You know, she used to do the air guitar all the time. Like, I, I know I here that Tenru has the vacant stare of a dog who has been asked to explain Marxist-Leninism. Uh, he has no yes. idea. Yeah. Oof. In 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 the in the immortal words of Mark Fisher describing Alan Shearer, a match of the day looks like um, a squaddy who's got the dead eye glare of um of one who's just beaten his bunkmate to death with his own shoes. Um, um, honestly, Teneru, it's 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 probably between him, uh, Grumpy Jumbo, Misawa, but maybe Kawada sometimes as well actually for having just the most fucking um, derisory kind of screw face on him. Um, like this look of utter disdain. Like when 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 Duggan does this stuff, what I thought was hilarious was that Duggan comes in, pops his chest out, and, and does all this stuff. I'm, I'm, am I mistaken in thinking that that Tenaru just tags out? He tags out quite <laughs> quickly. Because um... he's he's just like I'm not I'm not going to stay. I don't want to stay in, in the ring with this goof. This is gonna, what, I mean, what's it look like if I have to do parrot. Before that, we get uh, two uh, two hoes. Um, and uh, Duggan seems to beckon Kamala into the ring for a sneak attack, but Temu spots it. They finally lock up. There's a couple of go-behinds, and then Temu thinks, fucks this, and uh, tags in Hara. Kamala is in. Oh! <laughs> Kamala slaps his belly, and uh, there's a shoulder block, but Hara uh, comes back with a headbutt, and a double slap to the titties. <laughs> I ha- Oh, God. I had written here, just in full caps, human conquerors alert. That um... is what it is. It's absolutely human comic. Yeah, the, the yeah. titty slap. He catches him right on the nipple. And, it, like, Kamala reacts as you would expect if someone slapped you in the nipple. Like, you know, there's, there's, you know, he's meant to be this Ugandan savage. And in that moment, 
you know, he, he let the facade slip when he got hit in the nipple. You could clearly see that was that was yeah, the emotions of yeah. a man who was not a Ugandan yeah, savage. This, this, is, uh, this is a man who <laughs> yeah, it's like, has whoop! definitely been hit in the nipple <laughs> and his nipples want him to know about it. Yes. Um, I sure so, have, uh, by the way. He's a big boy. He's a big, he big is boy. a big fucking fucker. Like, I don't think I don't think anyone's going to ever mistake him for a great wrestler, but uh, he is at least effective at what he does, which is being big and doing headbutt. So, uh, good luck to you, and I hope I hope they didn't take too much of your kneecaps. So uh, now we get uh, Tenryu and Estrada facing off. Uh, Tenryu does a body slam. It looks like Estrada tried a, a kick from a, a prone position. Tenryu has uh, no truck with this selling business, and then uh, tags in uh, Ultimo Dragon, who lands on his feet from a back body drop. Uh, this is really good, actually. Uh, Estrada sort of does the big back body drop and does a sort of cocky pose, not realising Dragon's landed on his feet. Turns around, does a sort of, oh, come on, uh, reaction. Gets some more uh, lucha uh, stuff. And then a absolutely fucking insane spot where uh, they get the double wrist lock again. And uh, Dragon somehow propels Estrada over the top rope to the outside with his feet. While they're yeah. in that double yeah. double wrist lock, he gets a lot of air, does Jerry Estrada? Like that's uh, yeah. it, that's the most in, that's the most striking thing about the match. I, yeah. I thought was that 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 most striking moment in the match is that yeah, ridiculous. And and that uh, see, and it's followed by uh, the uh, trademark uh, Asai moonsault, which is the uh, springboard moonsault off the ropes. It's named for him. His shoot name is Yoshihiro Asai, um, and uh, looks like he hits his back very hard on the ramp as he. Uh, Oh, uh, comes down. I think it uh, looked rough. Um, yeah. Uh, like I, this, the, the whole throughout this whole match, it just made me really, really want an Ultimo Dragon Jerry Estrada singles match because I think that would be fucking be incredible and gonna be so good. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure probably they. Happened. I mean, if you check cage match, I'm sure they uh, probably had some. They they worked pretty well together, so uh, you know they might have had some uh, experience. Who uh, who knows? But uh, fuck that because. Uh, uh, it looks like we're doing uh, lucha rules because uh, Jim Duggan just comes in the ring yeah. uh, without uh, tagging. The idea of Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a lucha rules tag match makes me very, very happy. Um, a oh. big spinning body slam from Duggan. Oh! oh. A uh, drop kick and a spinning wheel kick from uh, Dragon. Duggan takes a bump <laughs> yeah. from Ultimo no, Dragon, which I was not expecting. I, um, I really hope that like six years down the line, it's some like taping of WCW Pro um, Ultimo Dragon and Jim Duggan just saw each other backstage and bonded over this weird, weird shared experience that they had like, it's a, yeah, like, it, whoever would have ever thought that Ultimo Dragon and Jim Duggan had ring time together yeah, it's yeah. the thing is about this match, however much we slate it in this review, you're gonna watch it oh, yeah, afterwards yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't, it's before. the only chance you're gonna get just, to see this combination of guys. Just out of morbid curiosity, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. Temu and Hara do a, the Vader attack on Duggan in the corner, uh, chopped by Temu, but uh, Duggan gets control and tags in Kamala, and then we get uh, the greatest combination in this match: Temu's chops, Kamala's titties. Oh. God. He's jiggling his hypnotic. Like, like, like steak and kidney. <laughs> Like uh, like burger sauce and and a, and a nice big hamburger, uh, just things that go together perfectly. Uh, his big old hands and his big old. Tell me, you must have he must have took one look at Kamala and gone, yes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Taylor just slapped him in the titties and then just like went, cancel my one o'clock. It was like the first time that Walter like shot Ilya Dragunov and was just like, I'm going out. I maybe sometime. We then get a Enzgiri from Temu. Now we're all big Temu fans. I think we can all admit how his Enzgiri can be pretty shocking looking. Can be pretty rubbish. Especially, it's not as good as Anoki's. No, it isn't, and we probably won't say that about many things that both Temu and Anoki do. What watch his retirement match for possibly the worst Enzgiri you've ever seen? Although in fairness, he was 65 at the time, so the fact he got even a couple of inches off the floor, and that's all it was—a couple of inches—is something to be applauded. The big lad sandwich Kamala, who does his wobbly selling that we talked about, and a very stiff lariat from. Hara sends him down. Um, Kamala gets a uh, gets two count of a splash. There's a bit of choking. Kamala does a kick and tags in Jim Duggan. Clothesline from Duggan. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's like fucking punctuation. I think I think, I think we're in we're, we're well into double figures for the hose now. Yeah. No, I I would I would say so. It is bordering on the absurd as as it indeed uh, this match. <laughs> and it made me giggle every single time we did it as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Oh my god, it's just it, it's. It's what makes this whole match so kind of like hyper real, it's, like you know, just it's so practically Bojardian. I've got, I've got a hot, but it is. I've it got is. a hot take here. Um, Jim Duggan, avant-garde comedy master. Um, he's just got, <laughs> he's just got this impeccable, you know, Ian esque timing of just being able to have such awkwardness. It's, it, it, it's, yeah. he deserves his own BBC Two Nineties comedy show. That's how I'm saying. He, he does. I no, but I, I, I mean, I, I really like Duggan great. anyway. Like a lot of people from our generation would only really know him from his WWF run, obviously, which is this in, is in the kind of the kind of peak of. But um, genuinely, if you want to see if you want to see Jim Duggan just be a good wrestler, um, you can check out loads of stuff from Mid South. There's DiBiase feud, um, his matches against Butch Reed, some of which are really good. His tag work that he does in in, in the Rat Pack and stuff, really, 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 really good wrestler actually. Um, but like, yeah, you're right. In this, it's like I mean, it just kind of sums the whole thing up because it is just this bizarre like melange of just like stuff that shouldn't go together and you know sometimes stuff that shouldn't go together when you put it together works out really well you know it's like you invent a new recipe by accident or something or whatever you know yeah 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 you know you you might think oh i've never tried that before but now i've pushed the boat i I think i enjoy that that that, that stretched the limits of my taste and that's interesting this is this is more this is this is is just pretty shy this is more (laughs) like it's basically uh, three different matches in one happening between different people it's like the terry's chocolate orange ice cream like these things on their own are good but uh you know it just doesn't work having said that i was expecting the terry's chocolate orange ice cream to be good and i had uh no such uh presuppositions about this match um, the ending. I've just discovered through that yeah. that there is a, a cherry chocolate orange ice cream. No, it's, no, don't, don't disappoint yourself, mate. It's 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 really not great. Uh, is this a, um, is it like is it those New Japan US shows where it says it's cherry chocolate orange, but you can taste the Bullet Club through it? Bullet skeptic detective. So, uh, for the finish, Estrada comes in, Dragging uh, gets a spinning wheel kick, which uh, completely misses, um, and then an assigned moonsault off the ropes, and a uh, bridging German suplex gets three. We then get uh, the matches all come off, including the timer, which says uh, 13 minutes, 40 seconds, so the match we saw was clipped. Thank fuck! Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that, because I thought, there was at one point when we watched it, that there was a certain edit, and I thought... Hang on a minute. And then I looked it up and I was like, nope, they've definitely cut and, this. There was more. And then did you notice what happened after the timer comes up, which is possibly the most tragic thing about the match? No. 
uh, the uh, no. the credits start rolling and the crowd starts filing out. This was the main event of a show. <sighs> Ultimo Dragon got a trophy. Oh. He got a goddamn trophy. <laughs> no, I was going to say after the match there has to be the award of, of of what even by Japanese standards has to be the most pointless um, and like a, a, a waste of money ever spent on a uh, on, on a meaningless this trophy is, to be given. It's a wrestling match. equivalent of. Do you remember when Everton won the Premier League and uh, they get given two trophies? Who? Everton. When who Everton. Won? What? In the 80s. Oh, yeah. in the 80s, because you oh, said the right, Premier League, yeah. and I was like, eh? Um, yeah. You know, you remember when they won it, and they gave them the, this traditional trophy, and, like, whatever fucking printer company was sponsoring it, and <laughs> gave them some really awful abomination as well at the same oh, time. I've never seen that. That's a brilliant story. Oh, it's a wonderfully bad trophy. Uh, we just like, was... look, mate. We, 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 the first of the championship we won. We we haven't dreamed from being like this high, the young boys of like winning the uh, the Zenith, you know, like or the, the brother princess. Cup, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, fucking hell, no wonder this promotion died. <laughs> was this, <laughs> this was this shown on one of his TV shows? Do you know? Um, I yes, guess because it. I mean, it looked like it was a commercial video release. If there was, uh, mm, if there was credits, I, I mean, SWS. I don't think carried on for too much longer. Yeah. After this, SWS then, died, um... mate. It's war. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, he set war up uh, Wrestleland Romance. Uh, then Wrestle Association R. It was called when uh, Toby realised, hey, uh, I'm uh, selling, uh, you know, the the Mills and Boone set, something that I. Uh, I cannot provide, and then he had a run in uh, New Japan, and he won uh, won their title before going back to all Japan. As I said, uh, yeah, this match is uh, it goes without saying terrible. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's really bad. It's it's barely even <laughs> it's barely even so bad. It's good because like no. I mean, it's not it's not really shit. It's not like incompetently performed yeah uh, it, apart from the apart from like the complete confusion between jim duggan's idea of working yeah. crowd and everyone else's there's a big no, class I mean, of styles is... involved and there's a lot yeah. of confusion and it, and it seems hastily put together yes um, the dragon estrada pieces i thought were actually really yeah. good but yeah no, they're, 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 they're yeah they were good. yeah yeah they're, 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 they're fine um even, even i didn't think i didn't think kamala was terrible actually um, in this, I thought he did his, his job fairly well. Um, Duggan's just hilarious because he, he, you know, he, he really is, I think, probably the reason that you would watch this actually because it is bad. Oh, God, yeah. But just to see how bizarre it is to see someone work in such a, a Vince esque style. It's um, so weird because um, you kind of do wonder when Japanese uh, companies made these working agreements with the WWF, what they were particularly getting out of it oh, in yeah, terms of personnel. I mean, you can say that in the early 80s, before the promotion went very, you know, very cartoonish, they would have got some uh, some good workers in. But, yeah. um, you know, you, you have to wonder what people like Kamala and Jim Duggan brought to a per version. I'm not even talking about in terms of gimmick, because if you look at the parades of competitors for some of those All Japan Tag Leagues, you've got cowboys and people dressed as Middle Eastern sheiks and stuff like that. I'm more talking in terms of the style they worked yeah. and how... Yeah. Uh, what a very poor fit it was for um, for privacy. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say about this, I mean, you should watch this match because it does answer the old, old age-old question with Ashurahara, where the age-old question of what would Eugene Nagata look like if he overdosed on brain and nerve tonic? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also, I also uh, like to imagine Kamala um, going back to the dressing room after and getting a bollocking from Bobby Williamson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Uganda's finest coach. Who, his son I went to school with, by the way. Uh, not Kamala. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, no. It's it's terrible, but um, it's it's really quite it's quite unique. Well, you need to watch it. Much like it. So you yeah, should yeah. probably watch it. You know. Yeah. Right. For all that we said, this is the worst match um we've ever done the podcast. Do watch it. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, just to say you've you've seen the worst match we've ever we've ever covered. <laughs> yeah. Um. The the next match we have for you is uh, is uh, somewhat better. It's uh we're going forward a bit in time now. It's the third of May, nineteen ninety three. We're back in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and um, we've put it off uh, long enough. It is time to start talking about that stark racist Hulkster dude. He is up against the Great Muta. So we have a man known for phoning it in and taking shortcuts versus Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what, 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 what? Where should we start with this then? Because it's, I feel like we're oh, an enormous, an enormous box of uh, like Pandora's box here. In, in... Okay. Well, let let's talk about uh, Hogan's run in uh, in Japan. Uh, so he uh, he was um, he was a really really big deal as a yeah. uh, foreign wrestler in New Japan in the early eighties when he was with uh, the AWA the American Wrestling Association. That's right, yeah. uh, he was known as uh, Ichiban, meaning uh, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, people in Japan they knew who Hulk Hogan was. He was a really big star. Oh, yeah. He actually won uh, New Japan's annual league tournament in nineteen eighty three, albeit um, by accident. Inoki got injured in the final. Actually, uh, swallowed his tongue, which was. Uh, very serious deal, but uh, he even tagged with Anoki, and uh, he was a really big foreign star for New Japan. And then he um, he did a few shots in uh, in Japan uh, while working for the WWF. Uh, if you've ever listened to that interview where he says that he works 400 days a year because he was uh, yeah. going back and forth between America and Japan so much, I know Hulk Hogan bullshitting. Uh, say it ain't so. Um, uh, and there are a few matches we could have uh, done for this involving Hogan. Um, we could have done one of his matches with Anoki yeah, from the 80s. Quite um, if we're going for a Dante Must Die mode, he had a match with Masahiro Chono at a Tokyo Dome show in 2003. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but um, the, the oh, reason we chose uh, we chose that. this one is just to shine a light on a period of Hulk Hogan's career that I think a lot of people maybe either don't know about or give uh, somewhat short shrift. Yeah. Um, uh, basically... If you if you sort of look at sort of uh, WWF produced uh, history DVDs, they kind of make it sound like he jumped straight from WWF to WCW, being this big, uh, the, you know, the first big acquisition of the so-called Monday Night Wars. And but actually, had, that wasn't he, the case. He had plenty of time to um, to uh, verbally um, and um, and metaphorically and and literally um, um, sort of. Um, run their title down uh, before he did that by saying before this oh, match that, yes. he, that uh, throughout his whole career that really all the titles he's won don't really mean anything because the big one that he's always wanted is the IWGP belt, uh, belt you know? Yeah, he, he said this, um, n- n- well, not only that, he said all the trophy, uh, the titles he won didn't mean anything to him, uh, including the WWF title, but he said this while he was the reigning <laughs> WWF uh, <laughs> World Heavyweight Champion. Um, and after after this, he had matches with, uh, I think, uh, Muto just as Keiji Muto and with Fujinami when he wasn't contracted to uh, WWF or WCW. That's what he did in this sort of interim period. He just went uh, to Japan where he was still a huge star from the 80s and had these dream matches with uh, New Japan stars. Um, so... Um, the thing about Hulk Hogan is that how do I put this? He's not he isn't as bad a wrestler as you think he is. If you would just watch his uh, WWF stuff, uh, and I, I will I will say that I mean you know you know what is 
good wrestling because I mean, yes, he he wasn't sort of a work rate uh, god in the you know the traditionally understood sense in WWF, but he was really good good at getting the crowd. It didn't matter what he did if he did the hulking up, uh, pointing, going you. Uh, big boot, leg drop. The crowd absolutely went nuts for it. And because of that, you could argue he maybe took it a bit easier than he otherwise could have in a uh, situation such as uh, in the Japanese promotion where he couldn't rely on storylines to get his character over and he couldn't rely on the sort of Jim Duggan-esque working of the crowd. So actually, when Hogan went to Japan, he put in a bit more of a shift than... um, than you would otherwise see. Check out his match with Stan Hansen from uh, 1990. That is a uh, from that same show that had the um, Ultimate Warrior yeah. Ted DiBiase yeah. match and the uh, horrendously boring Tiger Mask 2 Bret Hart match that we covered. Oh, yeah. um, like when Hulk Hogan could be asked, like he could wrestle. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a it's a whole Toriano argument though, because Toriano is actually like a very skilled wrestler. Toriano is like a, an amateur grappler. He was in Pancrase and stuff like that. Toriano can have a great match if you want, and even the G One this year, he had matches. You know where he was doing the comeback spots and things like that. But the whole point is, is that he doesn't need to, because he can mm-hmm. get a reaction without doing any of that. And to be yeah. honest, it makes him one of the smartest workers because he's able to gauge and say, right, I don't need to do all this. I can do my own shtick, and people will love it. And he's always over. He's one of the, you know, whenever he's in a match, you, you always hear you no know, people chanting for Yano. And that's just because he does what he needs to do. He doesn't have to drop himself in his head all the time because he's got his thing. It's, it's not hard. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll, 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 I'll go further than what either of you two have said on the, on the sort of Hogan thing and make an even more bold statement, which is, to me, um, obviously, like, when I was first sort of really getting heavily into, like, tape trading and things like that back when I was, like, 16, 17... Um, it you know to, to have given Hogan any praise as um as, as a worker, um you know would I mean pretty much the only guys of his generation that it was acceptable to give praise to that were working you know alongside him at the time would have been like maybe a Flair, Savage, Steamboat, um you know th- these kind of very obviously uh work orientated guys like these guys that were really putting in these like shifts doing like Broadway sixty minutes things like that you know a bit flashier that kind of thing. Um, and I'll like to, to, to even give Hogan any credit as being any good would have been, you know, like just you've been laughed out of town. Um, and then obviously in the mid 2000s, with the height of the sort of moves, uh, moves fans, uh, with like ROH and stuff, everything, um, uh, on, on the kind of tape printing scene was about work rate. But actually, like, I'll, I'll, I'll quite go, I'll go out and say it. I think there are certain periods in his career, um, where if you don't think Hulk Hogan's a good wrestler, you don't really understand the wrestling, like, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, because like you just said, David, like not everyone has to have to base their entire, their entire act around, uh, you know, like um, the same thing. Right. Um, there's plenty of space within wrestling for everyone to be able to try and build some kind of character that gets a reaction. Cause that's all the wrestling is, is getting a reaction out of the crowd. Um, so it's interesting seeing how he does that differently in Japan, um, in small, subtle ways than he would have done in, in the States at the time. I mean, if you watch, like, I mean, the, the best example for me of that is if, if you ever watch Goldberg, if you ever watch a streak, if yeah. you kind of watch it chronologically, you see, I think, around about 10, 15, 20 matches in, he, he goes, right, I don't, I, I can't just rely on the spear and jack camera, and he starts doing, like, you know, like, leg holds and stuff like that, and submission moves, like, proper, like, you know, sort of proto-MMA, you know, submission holds, mm. and then, like, 15 moves, 15 matches in, he realises... Nobody gives a fuck about this and just scrapped it. But like he did do yeah. other moves and he was constantly bringing out new moves for a good like ten, fifteen matches in a row. 
And then just went, nah, I don't need to, nobody cares. So just just be yeah. on that camera. And a, lot of, you know, a lot of wrestlers do that. They'll, they'll test something out. They'll try and expand on it. They'll see what the limits are. They'll see what they're comfortable yeah. with. And then they, they, they streamline it again. You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you think that uh, someone who was trained by Hiro Matsuda was not a well-trained professional wrestler, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. And it is difficult to talk about Hogan now, you know, with the whole racist sex tape um, that he did. Like, we know Hogan is a complete and utter shithouse in his uh, in his personal life. And, you know, I, I don't I don't be one of those cunts who um, is just like, oh, you, you should like divorce the you to separate the artist from the arts. Yeah, you, it's very difficult in a lot of circumstances. It's difficult, especially in pro wrestling. You know, the, and there's wrestlers uh, nowadays that, you know, um, well, I take uh, Yoshiko, for instance. Like, I watched a match of hers for, you know, the first time in fucking years mm. um, at, at the weekend because our, our friend had, uh, we were watching a seedling show. Yeah. And it, it's still hard to get past uh, knowing, you know, the sort of incident with Actessa Kawa where she, she broke a woman's face. Um, yeah, genuinely not very pleasant Seemingly not a good, good reason. No, it's very bad. So, um, but yeah, just talking about Hulk Hogan's wrestling. Yeah, um, yeah, good, good wrestler who is remembered mostly for his shtick simply because of, you know, the his most famous role. Um, so in this match, uh, they really do give it the um, uh, pomp and circumstance. Uh, we have... Um, uh, the word "super dream real American" yeah. uh, come up on the screen. That is uh, that is very good. Um, we get the Goldberg pyro and some uh, giant Catherine wheels uh, for uh, for mm. Muta. Not uh, Catherine any... wheels in wrestling. No, no Roman candles. These are these are uh, really big ones. You might even say they're uh, uh, Catherine the Great. Very oh. good. Yeah, there you go. He's on form today. Um, <laughs> this is the kind of this kind of joke you make when it's like half eleven at night and we're still recording. Um, the ring announcer appears to be dressed as uh, Principal Bonaparte from Yu-Gi-Oh! GX. Very much enjoyed that. Um, there is a I, I, shit... I have no idea what that what that just meant. Okay, imagine Napoleon Bonaparte if he was like some weird, creepy imp, and that's uh, but basically, basically him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know if. Um, so there's uh, even more pyro for uh, Hulk Hogan. Uh, Mouth of the South Jimmy Hart is with him because, of course, he is. Uh, Jimmy uh, Hart's Jimmy Hart. uh, jacket also a tribute to the power of Jushi because it looks like a North Korean billboard um, yep. on the back. <laughs> I don't know what the hell it was at all, but I just thought that looks like something you would see in like a, a, a town square in Pyongyang, like you know, hailing <laughs> the the great leader. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Um, Listen. Say what you will about the uh, the North Korean regime and its uh, decayed uh, Stalinism, but uh, I think we can all agree those propaganda posters are fucking awesome. Oh yeah, they're brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've got a compilation that's um, Sublime Frequencies put out of North Korean Juchi propaganda music as well, which is pretty bad. <laughs> like, um, so, um, for, for all the untold suffering that the uh, deformed worker state of North Korea is enacting on its people, lovely music. <laughs> absolutely stick nine at the end yes um so then we get the great muta who you, you you may very well be familiar with we mentioned him back in uh episodes five and seven uh david made the point which uh, i think was a good one that it was a shame that we didn't get keiji muto playing the great muta yeah. in this new japan versus ujlufi feud because that would have been the true um pro wrestling versus yeah. shoot style you know, that this would have been the ultimate clash of styles and personas rather than Keiji Muto trying to do a sort of semi-shoot style thing and not really being that good at it. Yeah. Um, now this is the this is the true sort of 
mysterious, almost supernatural, uh, great music character that got him so over in America yeah. in uh, the late eighties. I'm, um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, of the great of, 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 of the, the character of the great movie, even when he's in matches that. Um, a little bit below par, which he can be, depending on it. He's very much often with Mooter, especially his old stuff in the, in the US as well. I often find it's very much um, he's going to wrestle his kind of match, and often it's about who he's, who he's up against and whether they can handle it, whether they can adapt to it. You know, and it's kind of hit or miss. But um, as a character, I think he's one of the, the, the my favorite in, in all of wrestling. Uh, yeah, D- David, I'm guessing you're a great Mooter fan, just because oh, I yeah, know yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I, I'm a I'm a big great Mooter fan. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he starts off sort of moping in the corner, being mysterious. Uh, shoots his mist into the air, does the throat slit and flips, uh, slit and flips Hogan off. That is a oh, very good start to the, yeah. uh, to the match. Um, and uh, he sort of feigns a few kicks, and then we get get the um, first move Hulk Hogan does in the match. Now, I'd just like you to take a, a second at home, um, try and guess what the first move Hulk Hogan does in the match is. So I'll give you a few seconds to have a think about uh, you know what you know of Hulk Hogan's move set from watching in in the WWF. You know the signature moves he was most famous for, and maybe the, the sort of things that he generally opened a match with. So what was Hulk Hogan's opening move? If you guessed a rolling cross arm breaker, then you are bang on the money. I don't know how many of you did, but God damn it, that is what happens. Yep, it's we're not lying. Like this, <laughs> this is this is true. My note simply reads a limerick from Hulk Hogan Moon Pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're not shitting you. I mean, yes, fair enough. We did do an entire episode where we, we pretended that a blow-up doll was a real human. But apart from that, when no. have we ever done you wrong? Yeah, and and and, and just to lever this praise uh, somewhat, uh, I, I I will say that of all like whenever I've watched a Hogan match from Japan, he's pretty much started with the exact same sequence. <laughs> Okay. Jesus, was this like a a signature move of his? I'm pretty sure he does it against Inoki in the Inoki matches, uh, and I'm pretty sure he, I've seen him do it against someone else. Oh, I can't remember who it is. Yeah, he, I'm pretty sure it's in the Inoki match. I could be wrong, but does, does that mean those Inoki Hogan matches were technically work shoot? <laughs> well, um, they, they, they were certainly something. <laughs> if you if you ask Hogan, every match he does is a work shoot, brother. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> That's right. Good night, Hulkamaniacs and Jabroni marks for that. If you, if you ask Paul Hogan, he literally didn't know until um, the moment that Andre um, told him to slam him at, uh, at WrestleMania that it was going to happen. Uh, you know, like oh. 145,000 people in, in the Pontiacs <laughs> Silver Dome. Although um, to, be, to be fair, Hogan is as awful as a person as he is. I actually thought he was um, he was he was he was quite good on the uh, the recent Andre documentary. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's best to just like you know take everything he says with a pinch of salt. So Muta escapes from the uh, feared uh, Hogan jiu-jitsu expertise <laughs> and uh, ends up on Hulk the Hulk Gracie over here. <laughs> Hulk, that's uh, Hulk Gracie. That's spelled uh, R-U-L-K. Yeah, Hulk. <laughs> Um, Muta ends up lying uh, uh, on the ramp doing uh, ramp angels I guess you would call them then uh, yeah. flips into the ring that's very cool uh, Hogan does a go behind and uh, drop toe hold into a front chancery uh, Muta gets into the corner and we get a double wrist lock then Hogan takes him down we get an arm ringer so like a bit of the old Matt wrestling uh, oh, yeah. coming out from Hogan which again you wouldn't necessarily see him uh, do in the Fed when it was very much a more sort of uh, punch kick style and actually as time went on Hogan would increasingly take more of his offence because he preferred uh, the idea of uh, spending 10 minutes sort of laying down in the corner than yeah. uh, actually 
doing anything. <laughs> um, uh, Muta does the shoulder charges in the corner. Hogan uh, whips Muta and uh, does a clothesline. And uh, he goes for the axe bomber, which was... Uh, uh, that was his finisher in Japan. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't the atomic leg drop. That was uh, a sort of setup move, mm. really, or a signature move. Uh, his uh, the axe bomber is a sort of um, uh, short arm lariat. Yeah, uh, it, it's not great. Um, like it's, I think it's fine. Just like not as a finisher. In particular, his match against Fujinami from this year. The finish is the worst fucking lariat you will ever see in your life. Like go out of the way for you to uh, to see it. It is truly dreadful. Um, uh, there's um, uh, now Yamaguchi in Stardom does like axe bomber spam as her gimmick, which I find really funny just because it was Hulk Hogan's thing, and now it's like an uh, idol wrestler in uh, in Stardom doing it. So that, that's yeah, really good. I remember it, it used to be like a trivia question. This on that um, people would post on like message boards and things back in the day and stuff. It'd be like, oh, can you name um, like uh, all of Hulk Hogan's finishes? And like it was a kind of way of people being like, oh, I've seen Japanese stuff and you've not. And it'd just be some nerdy guy who's like, actually, you've not included the uh, the the axe bomber uh, from uh, his time in Japan. <laughs> you, 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 do, you do know that Hogan wrestled in Japan, don't you? <laughs> I've seen Japanese stuff and you not. The rejected working title of this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we watch this shit so you don't have to. That, that, that was I mean, one. never has that been truer than with the previous match. No. Um, so uh, Muta yeah, rolls out the way of the Axe Bomber and uh, drop kicks Hogan, then drop kicks him uh, through the ropes. Again, Hogan, this is already more bumps than Hogan would have liked to have uh, taken uh, usually. Yeah. Uh, he motions for the dive, uh, but uh, Hogan moves away. Um, and uh, there's an eye rake and the, uh, the Muta elbow. Uh, for one, which we've covered on the uh, podcast before. I don't really know how to describe it. He sort of does this weird sort of uh, weird cockney walk and then uh, sort of uh, does a really uh, rapid motion elbow job. It's uh, it's very cool. If anyone wants to get an idea of it, it's a little bit similar to... The walk bit isn't, but the execution itself is very similar to uh, the kind of elbows that Dean Ambrose does uh, these days. Yes, true. Um, yeah, cause, cause just because I, I only mention that because whenever I see Ambrose do this, I always think of, of Muta. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the the lunatic fringe Dean Ambrose. <laughs> the, all, all, um, Dean Ambrose, because of his receding hairline, the lunatic without a fringe. <laughs> <laughs> that is very good. See, he needs to take a page out of Muta's book because Muta recognised he was going bald and shaved his head and like got that sort of grey goatee and like was like this this cool looking old man. Yeah, that was yeah. cool. I loved it when Muta did that. He really reinvented reinvented himself at that time. That's probably my favourite Muto, actually. Um, He's really good then as well. That he has some really yeah. good matches during that period as well. Against even, like, uh, you know, against Temu and uh, people like that, but also against, like, a really broken-down Steve Williams. And, like, he got some... Uh, yeah. uh, he got some very... Uh, I think it's, Did he wrestle Scott Hall as well? Did, I, did that come to me in a fever dream? Oh, or, like... I think that, that did, I think that happened, you know. Or I maybe think, Temu yeah. wrestled Scott Hall. I swear I, I, Scott Hall I think I've seen up that. in uh, all Japan. Um... So we get a uh, rest hold and then a toe hold by uh, Hogan and a sort of real stretch-looking uh, thing. Muta once again escapes from uh, Hulk Hogan's grappling uh, expertise. And he does that spot. I re- this is actually very Toriano, um, in which he sort of gets out of the ring and then crawls under the ring and out the other side. Yeah, it is. It's great hijinks, isn't it? Uh, I just checked just to go back. Yeah, the, we weren't imagining this. Uh, Scott Hall and KG Muta had a match um, on the 23rd of the 9th, 2001. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, it was a so, Muto defence of the Triple Crown, actually. 
Just over just over twenty years from the date that this is will be released. <laughs> Fucking hell it is. <laughs> that is insane. I think Scott Hall also like put Tanahashi over like about a year after that. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't yeah, surprise it's, me. it's he had this sort of weird uh, sort of um, Japan run in between like going back to the NWO where you know he was um, could still wrestle after a fashion, but he really wasn't in uh, in uh, good nick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Shall we say? Oh god, no, um, poor guy. Yeah, so uh, Muta bamboozles Hulk Hogan with this clever technique of uh, hiding under the, under the ring uh, with uh, Hornswoggle et al. And uh, he's back in and does some uh, standing elbows, again, very uh, Dean Ambrose. Uh, Hogan out the ring and pulls Muta to the outside by his feet. And they uh, have a little bit of a brawl. There's a uh, suplex on the outside by Hogan, which uh, must have smarter than he just sort of chucks Muta in the crowd. Loads of lads get in the way, so I've no idea what the fuck was going on. At this point, that, that, that's my favourite type of crowd brawl, though, is when it's obscured. Because I, I find it when you watch wrestling, it's all too clean cut. But I love the fact that every once in a while you'll get a brawl and you're like, oh, what's happening? You don't know what's happening and it's obscured. And it makes it better than if it's just in plain view. It's like the whole cycle shower thing. You know, where they get stabbed, she gets stabbed in the shower and you don't see her being stabbed, you just see the blood. It's kind of similar to that, not as profound, but I like the fact that it was obscured. No, but it, it, they, they, but they do both operate on the kind of same base of like human it, human nature, right? You know, like it gives, it gives a chaotic things, right to it. Yeah, yeah, for something's sure. not went to plan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's like it's a bit like um, you know, I, I like that as well because it, it it recreates what it's like to actually be at a show when that happens. We've all been at shows and people go and you know fight out the ring and in, in, in the bar and out, out I see them outside yeah. of the street sometimes, you know, and like that kind of thing. Um, and um, it's it's you know you don't see everything you are kind of having to run to keep up with it and I quite like that. I mean, f- fucking hell! Do you remember when we went to uh, Vader versus Osprey? Oh, uh, to, uh, Rev yeah. Pro and a friend friend of the podcaster uh, Tanya shouted, "Sit down, you cunts!" on uh, more than one occasion. <laughs> and That's uh, right. we were, we that, that was a very strange. Um, I thought that was a really strange event. That there was a really weird vibe about that whole event. I remember, I think that we we um everyone was seemed a bit on edge at that event because I remember um we we well I was really drunk, but me and Timmy, our friend Timmy, got in trouble for um telling t- uh, telling some people to shut up when they started singing um with chanting fight forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were doing a service. Yeah. I salute you. Yeah, yeah. No, I no, I think actually it was even worse than that. They started chanting fight forever, and we started chanting fuck that chant back. At them. <laughs> Again, entirely. They've started actually um, uh, at Eve. There's been dueling chants of uh, both these women and pick a side, which I've been uh, yeah, uh, been rather enjoying. To every single person that's, that chants pick a side, I could kiss you. Uh, yes. You understand wrestling. Well done. It's not difficult. Well, okay. if, if only I was there in the room with you, Daniel, because I am one of those people and I expect to call in that favour at some point in the future. My boy, my boy. Anytime. anytime. Um, no time yeah, so and. So yes, well, well, obviously, and uh, yes, thank you, uh, and uh, thank you, Tanya, for your uh, very loud voice and uh, very, very um, forthright willingness to tell cunts where they are being cunts. Yeah, we so, love uh, Tanya. We love Tanya. The last time I went to so, see um, Joshy actually was um, yeah, Tanya was there as well with um, with Louise and 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 their, and their kid and stuff. And yeah, it was, oh, yeah. that was uh, that was the uh, Stardom Europe show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. That yeah, so that was really good, and we made friends with Alpha Female. Yes, that's right. We did. Yeah, we hung out with Alpha Female. She was lovely during that show. Yeah, really nice. Very, very nice. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I felt really bad then because she, she had her first MMA fight not long after that and she got battered and I felt really... Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. She might, she might not have got battered. Sorry. I don't know what the result was, but I, might, I watched a video of... This is it. I watched a video of her, like, sparring or training and it looked like she was coming off, like, not, not the best and I got really worried about her because I was like, oh, no, but now, I, now I've met her and she's really nice and, like, I hope she doesn't get hurt. So I don't think I ever actually watched the match. Did you? I, I, I think they were planning her versus Gabby Garcia and it never <laughs> happened. For probably for the best... Yeah. Um, maniacs, like, uh, never stop rising ever, ever, never yeah, stop. But, but for those unaware, if you've listened to our previous episodes, um, rising is basically the modern pride. So. Oh yeah, it's an absolute shit show. Uh, yeah. Bob Sapp fought for them uh, this week and of course won. He did. Of course he did. <laughs> he did. Of course he did. Have you seen? Uh, you yeah, had to get <laughs> beaten up by Gabby Garcia. <laughs> Yumiko Hotter ran the ropes in an MMA fight. <laughs> and, and people weren't sure if it was like, a lot of people were saying that they, she wasn't sure if it would like if it was a work or not when she went into the ring. And then I think that was the point that she must have realised that it's actually... <laughs> hang on, hang on a bit. Yeah, watch the Bob Sapp match because um, uh, the, the final round, he's against this, I can't remember the guy's name, he, he was a uh, sumo wrestler. Uh, back in the day, not an especially sort of high-ranking one, but the sort of sumo wrestler who was sort of not so successful that they could turn down a payday to have an MMA fight with Bob Sapp, <laughs> put it that way. Um, and uh, watch the third round because it is very much, they are both like sort of player two is disconnected. <laughs> like, uh, they, they're just so gassed. Or swinging it's in like... the wind, they're absolutely... <laughs> they look it, like it, a windsock. It... It makes uh, Kimbo versus Dada Dada Five Thousand look like uh, Anthony Pettis versus uh, versus uh, Benson, Benson Henderson. Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it like like TJ Dillashaw versus Dominic Cruz. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go and see it out. So uh, yeah, love rising. Um, so yeah, loads of lads get in the way accurately. Um, Accurately uh, simulating the feel of uh, being at a uh, being at a bit rest show. Um, so we get uh, back onto the uh... or a sex club. Um... I mean, some t- the resistance gallery will give you both. So um... <laughs> <laughs> so that's not even allegedly. Like um... no, no, no. So, uh... true. Da- da- Daniel goes there all the time. He's not seen any wrestling there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. honestly, um, it's uh, I wish I didn't live in Spain. Put it that way, because that'd be my that'd be my hangout. I think. <laughs> Every Saturday, like so, they get back on the uh, sort of outside mats. Hogan get, does a uh, backdrop on the floor uh, to Muta. Gets back in and uh, shouts Ichiban. So uh, you know he's uh, learned at least uh, one one word of Japanese. Uh, Muta beats the count and uh, rolls immediately back out. Hogan follows and gets whipped into the post and then whipped into the other one. Uh, Muta puts the uh, ring bell hammer in the back of his trunks and then runs wild with it, which is somehow not a DQ, which makes you wonder why he had it in the back of his trunks in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> the the appearance of subterfuge, um, uh, the uh, the great Muta story, um, <laughs> stumped to the stumped to the back, and he uh, follows this um, uh, ring bell hammer attack with the dreaded rear chin lock for some reason, <laughs> and then uh, that was a bit weird. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna use the hammer to soften him up for the chin lock. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, chucks Hogan onto the ramp and uh, knocks him down and then runs the entire length of the ramp. It's glorious. <laughs> no, no, I, I made a note of that, but it, but that's literally one of my favourite things in all of wrestling is, uh, this is, this is, a, this is at the dome, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, well, um, no, it's the, it's the uh, Fukuoka dome, so it's a dome, but not oh, the dome. Oh, sorry. So it's not, yeah, so it's not the, uh, the, 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 the dome, the dome, the dome, the dome. But 
Um, with um, this one, um, what I really like about it is the fact that whenever they have shows in domes in Japan, because obviously that's their, their biggest arenas, I think, aren't they all? They're all called yeah. domes. Yes. Um, so they've got so much space that they always have a massive ramp. And if there's one thing yeah. that I love in pro wrestling, it is seeing someone go all the way up the ramp and like like a, like a cartoon character, like Wally Coyote with his legs going in a circle, just leg it all the way down for the impact of the move. My favorite ever one actually is that um, I think it's a Big Egg Universe. Um, it's um, Andrew Kong against um, I want to say Manami Tiota. Um, yeah, that is about to happen. That she, episode, she, yeah. she 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 does a. Um, an epic, an epic one, and like you know, like Adja's Adja's a big lady, and like she doesn't even look that gassed at the end of it. She's just such a pro. She's just like ah. It reminds me of um, uh, it reminds me of that uh, meme. I actually seen this meme today of the drunk people trying to run past a speed camera and see what speed they can get. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. just cheating when it's at over fifteen miles an hour, so it'd be like sixteen and fourteen. Then you get an eighteen, and the crowd goes wild. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, you get the wonderful, wonderful soundtrack of the crowd. Go, it's absolutely yeah, crazy. yeah. They go. I mean, this was. A, you can tell this is a, a big spot for Muta because uh, they go uh, absolutely mad. Yeah, they do. And they sort of cactus clothesline. Um, Mood uh, of cactus clotheslines Hogan into doing, and then their their arms get tangled in the ropes a little bit, uh, which it seems like wasn't planned because the uh, uh, ref uh, frees them. Hmm. And uh, then we get uh, Hogan making his comeback with uh, punches as he did in the um, in the Fed, but uh, then he uh, shoves the ref down and continues. Uh, so showing a few uh, heelish tendencies, rakes the face um, as well. Mm. I thought that was quite interesting. It's nice to see the SPFL New Japan referee exchange is continuing apace. It's you know, <laughs> absolutely fucking useless referees that can't see any decisions whatsoever. I've seen them given. When we went to the football quite recently at Dumbarton, uh, there was some uh, A-plus heckling of the referee who was not having a good game, to be fair. And the, the, yeah, the best one was just when they shouted, someone shouted, there was no advantage to be played, you dumpling! <laughs> you dumpling. Uh, Pepper the that, box that, that and minded was... players. <laughs> that is the best, the best heckle of all time. Remember, this is where this is. This is the issue. Is that they're playing the advantage in New Japan? You know, they, <laughs> yeah. you, you know I give the Phil straight away. Don't they continue the run of playing. Like you know, give them a chance. That's. That, I think we figured out. Red shoes just constantly giving the advantage. Yeah, yeah, maybe he is. Maybe Red Shoes' real hero uh, is actually David Ellery. Or Gurnham Singh. Or maybe Uriah Rennie. Or any of the classic refs. <laughs> he did yeah, penny I didn't say like Pierluigi Carino or someone. I was like, no, just a bunch of obscure refs that you remember from when City were in Division 2 when you were growing up. Uh, <laughs> I probably cut that out, sorry. I'm not cutting that out. No, I was going to say, like, fuck are we cutting it out? This is triple P content. Um, So, um, yeah, after the face rake, um, Enzigiri from Hulk Hogan. Better than Tenryu's. Yep, legitimate. Um, Hulk Hogan is in his... uh, This was quite close to the the, uh, notorious trial of uh, Vincent Mann. Hogan is very much in his I better not do steroids until the heat's off shape. Oh, he's very gone at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I made a note of that, like for anyone that was watching this that hasn't ever, um, that hasn't seen much of him during this kind of brief and, and small period. Um, yes. it, it sans juice. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> Sin is. Sin gas. Uh, 
is more <laughs> uh, sh- he is more shrunken than the aliens from the three body problem. Um, so um, more shrunken Muta... than his genitalia when he was on the steroids. <laughs> hey, um, so Muta responds with the with the um, hands to the elbow and a backbreaker. Top rope moonsault gets two. And then he drop kicks Hogan out of the ring and walks him into the crowd uh, again, whacks him into the post and does a sort of, uh, the probably the baddest spot in the match is a sort of uh, Tarzan swing with a rope ladder. I uh, to drop kick so him. much. A gigantic rope ladder that is just hanging from the ceiling for no reason. Yeah. I, pre- I presume it's for the set. I presume it's for like building the set, but why is there not more rope ladders in fucking wrestling? It's, I love it's some so proper much. gladiator shit. It is, absolutely. It's a tussle, it's a Unfortunately, Jet didn't make an appearance, but no. Uh, <laughs> chronically young Jet. That was just absolute fucking madness um, of that. Like such an arresting spot. Really, really cool. Um, yeah, it was good. M- Muta, Muta goes uh, from this athleticism, goes back to his nefarious ways. Chairs Hogan in the back and back in the ring. Uh, then we got a really, really cool sequence um, here. Then he tries to hit him again with the chair, but the ref, having seen enough. Uh, grabs it off him. Hogan uh, uses the opening to do the axe bomber and then grabs the chair off the ref and shoves him down again to sort of um, wrangle it off him, which gives Muta the opening to do the mist. Like a really good sequence of interaction between the two men and the referee. Like, I really love that. And um, Muta goes to the top rope, but Hogan dodges the missile drop kick, hits the atomic leg drop, but by God, the Muta kicks out of the atomic leg drop. Absolutely. Just like Sid... Just like Sid did at WrestleMania 8 because Papa Shango was late to his running. <laughs> Papa Shango sitting in some sort of bar next to Corican Hall, just <laughs> waiting on his cue and then realises the Fukuoka Dome instead of the Tokyo one. He's like, oh, fuck, I've done it again. <laughs> I'm never going to make it at this time. <laughs> Johnny, two more points. Three lambooners. <laughs> and uh, then the... Uh, the big boot by Hogan, and finally the axe bomber gets three. And then he, Hogan's presented with a, for some reason, a figurine of this feudal era Japanese bloke. Yeah. Yes, the customer in a blankety blank checkbook and pen. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck was that about? Um, this this match was, considering like you may, if you're not a fan of Hulk Hogan particularly, you don't really get his uh, WWF stuff. Give this a try because I actually thought this was a pretty good match. I'm, I'm not saying it's um, is amazing, but like it's a big uh, dome match involving uh, Hulk Hogan, and uh, he, he he does break it. I thought this was pretty good. Yeah, I like it. I enjoy this match. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, I've always been a big uh, Hogan advocate uh, for many years, even back before the the incident. Um, where like, I, I was always yeah incidents. I was always a big fan uh, of him. Um, yeah, I, 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 I loved it. In fact, there is, um, worryingly, uh, there is footage of me on impact bowing to Hulk Hogan's feet, which has not aged well. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's not aged well. Um, yeah, I, I used to be properly into I, I loved him. Um, not so I am him now, but like I can, I, because I had that sort of love affair for so long, I can, I can, I, I always get something out of these matches and I thought, this was a, this is a really good match. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's probably the best match that's ever happened at Don Taku. Are you listening, Kenneth? Unblock us now. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is wrestling Don Taku. This show. Uh, I, I picked it, it up. It is, yeah. It. Yeah. Um, it is absolutely much better than any match that's happened this year or last year at Don Taku. Um, fight me, Kenneth. Fight me. I mean, he because he's blocked us. We're having to uh, reach out to him through the medium of uh, podcasting. Uh, all the New Japan roster. Uh, our, our regular uh, 
I said Rossler, didn't I? He used to play for your lot, didn't he? Yes, you're talking about Uwe Rossler, his granddad bombed Old Trafford. Not allegedly. Fact. <laughs> that was an actual <laughs> chance. Actual fact. Uh, never let it be said that uh, football fans are, uh, are uh, leery of bad taste. Yeah, better your own bad taste or anything like that. So yeah, that was um, the uh, the Hulk in Hulkamania. But we have a couple of matches left for you, starting with this. So uh, our next match, we're moving forward in time a little bit to the seventeenth uh, of July in nineteen ninety six. We're back in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and this is this is a real fucking fire pro match. Uh, this one, like one of the things you look at on paper and think, oh god, did uh, did that actually really happen? It's a, a return to the podcast for. Um, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, and his opponent is Macho Man Randy Savage. That's right. Getting to talk about Macho on the fucking Purifree podcast. I'm going to be like a pig in shit here. I'm so glad we get to do this because, like, Brilliant. I mean, what, what, I mean, what do you say about the Macho Man? Uh, uh, really, I mean, iconic pop culture figure and like processed sausage salesman, Macho Man Randy Savage is wrestling <laughs> in New Japan. Like, what the fuck? Him and Chris Waddle just peddling their bangers all over, all over the world. Um, but um, no, like I mean, in some ways, it's almost like I think we should. There's not a huge amount more we can add to anything that would already have been said about Macho, and, and our, our our podcast is more meant to be, you know, in in, in the pro orientated direction. Um, so you know, there's very little that you can add. Um, I think the thing with Macho is that to a lot of people that aren't big wrestling fans, that he might be the only wrestler they know out from that period outside of Hulk Hogan, right? And and I think for a lot of people, they, you know, I think even if you're not a huge big wrestling fan, you probably might understand that. Hogan's quite a divisive kind of figure in wrestling. You only have to watch a little bit to understand that, you know, this is a guy that could, could probably elicit very strong opinions either way. Um, what I think a lot of people that aren't into wrestling wouldn't really get about Macho is just how universally adored and, and, and well thought of in terms of his in-ring in, in work that he is. Uh, so there's no need to talk yeah. about how great a wrestler he is. He's one of the finest workers that ever lived. Um, but this is a very interesting context for us to be watching it. It's in, interesting. It? It's like, well, I think... I'm not going to say it's one of those matches where you know you sometimes get these matches between someone who's sort of on the way up in terms of their career and someone who's on the way down. Um, mm. I wouldn't necessarily say Liger's on the way up, actually, because he's done a lot of great work by this point. Uh, I, I was going to say, this is the absolute, like, best point that they could have met at, because yeah. at, at this point, Savage was was still a heavyweight in WCW, I think it was 96, so he wasn't the champion at this point. Because as I said, it was around about May, June. Or was it July, July yeah. In 1996, yeah. So he'd, he'd lost the belt by this point. But he was still in and amongst the mix. But he wasn't a focal point. Um, he was also very generous at this point in terms of uh, the, way, the way he worked matches. He was by no means a selfish person at this point. He, he would give people um, things. And then you get Liger, because this is this is I won't say this is a year after where Liger had that match with Hashimoto uh, when the mm. juniors were absolutely on fire and they were incredible match. The Hashimoto match, match the yeah. Point. It was yeah. 1994 that was, but it's one of those matches. Yeah. It was the I think it, they were the IWGP heavyweight and junior heavyweight champions at yeah, the time. Yes. Yeah, it? and right. it's a it's a really even match. And basically, the story yeah, of it is that. Um, Basically, they're putting over that, okay, Liger is a junior, but he's as good a wrestler as Hashimoto. Yeah. He's just outmatched physically. Uh, but, like, mm. Hashimoto gives him so much offense. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and it's like at this point when you have Liger who is getting offensive, he is kind of mixing it a bit with the the heavyweights. It's not got to the point where, because I mean, well, at this point the the juniors were on absolute fire. This is the J Crown, this is you know the Super J Cups they like did two years before, you know, and you had the skydiving J tournament. Like you had all these like mad matches. You had you know guys like Dragon or Tani, Kanemoto. All in the mix, and like, every match, like you can pick out any junior in, in New Japan match from around this time, and it will be stellar. It will be mm. absolutely, you know, stealing the show. I think there is a, a widely held consensus. I would certainly say amongst people I know that the juniors was the main event at this point over mm. the heavyweights. Because, I mean, the heavyweights, yeah. they had intrigue in that, but people were watching New Japan for the juniors, they were watching Old Japan for the heavyweights, they were not watching. The opposite from either as much. No, so no. Japan That's and, definitely something I remember. Yeah. yeah. So like, and after like ninety seven, ninety eight, at that point, the juniors were a bit de-emphasized. The match quality not necessarily went down, but you know you had stuff with Mitch and Pro, Pro and stuff like that that had just totally, you know, like other places were doing it. It wasn't as novel. There, you know, WCW as well. Um. So this, I feel, was the absolute perfect point. Because as well as that, this is, after this, when Sammy starts to go down, he has his run with DDP. That's about it. It's not really got much else after this. I think that anything before, I don't think Lagra would have got as much out of it. But he was at the stature where he could do it. Anything oh, after yeah. it, Savage is just too gone. Lagra's been de-emphasised. Mm. Absolutely, you couldn't have picked a better time to have this match. I absolutely agree. And one thing I'd add to that, like a, a note um, on the end of that, I agree with everything you've just said, is that uh, from from the perspective of the development of kind of um, I guess schools of, of of wrestling fandom and kind of amateur DIY criticism, if you will, um, this period of kind of I mean it's really super, super J Cup ninety four uh, is that that's the right isn't it the J Cup ninety four that is really the yeah the kind perfect. of the, the the lodestone like the touchstone sorry not the lodestone the touchstone um for for this stuff which is where it really begins to kick off this kind of that's that's when I begin began to notice um a fandom that was I would maybe call it. Uh, maybe the sort of the, the 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 golden or silver age of kind of the um the um the, the kind of smart fan in terms of them emphasizing a lot of work rate um and mm-hmm. um, and emphasizing a lot of um uh the fact that you know these smaller guys are working a different style which is more exciting and perhaps takes a bit more out of them and leads to these very kind of um, arresting matches. I'd also mm-hmm. argue that perhaps that was taken um, that, that that was taken sort of too far after that and that. After a certain point, junior matches actually got a bit of a free pass, I think, for things like excess and for um, kind of inconsistency. Uh, but yeah, that's a different yeah. discussion. You're absolutely right, David. Um, at the time, um, this was incredibly exciting stuff uh, uh, to be watching. And to have like um, someone from such a different background as, as Savage come in and do this is um, really an interesting thing, actually, to, to see. Um, I think even if you didn't like this match, you, you, it's something you have to watch as a fan because it's so interesting. Yeah, it's like, really I mean, the, the other amazing thing about this... Um, Jushin Liger does have a brain tumour at this point in uh, in time. <laughs> really this is don't. one month before. I think we mentioned this in, back in episode five. There was uh, this is one month before the J Crown tournament, in which Liger jobbed out in the first round in two minutes because he had to go and get surgery for a brain tumour. So Liger has cancer at this point. Um, Unbelievable. Into, and he's still working at like he's working at a pretty damn good level in this match. The thing oh. that I because I'd I'd not seen this before uh, watching it for the podcast. I knew it existed, and the one thing I wanted to know is like, okay, Savage is very generous um, to like the the smaller guys um, as he was in WCW, um, 
but will he have his working boots on? Because I don't know if you guys have uh, have you guys ever seen a uh, Starcade nineteen ninety five? Oh yeah, Savage versus yes. is a name for you. Uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan. Yeah, have you ever seen that match? Yeah. It, I have. It's like have. so. It's five minutes of Tenzan like doing offense on Savage, and then Savage hits one move and then does an elbow and wins. It's like that Cena versus yeah. Miz I quit match from uh, like uh, twenty eleven yeah. or whenever it was. Yeah, I I remember. But you know something, right? That like I because I I went through a run of watching all of the WCW pay per views for like maybe a year and a half of ninety five, ninety six. It was it was a couple of years ago I did it, but I did watch them. That is literally every Randy Savage match at this time. Every single one of them is he just gets the, the, the fuck beat out of them for about five ten minutes and then he'll just close line him and elbow every single match it's just his rote formula i believe this happened with um oh was it was it meng or was it uh nakanishi i can't remember which one he fought i want to say it's nakanishi maybe meng one of the two at halloween havoc where they had a match and it's literally just he gets the pop oh, yeah. and then comes out it's literally verbatim the same thing it's just yeah. his go-to thing which is great for someone like Liger who can just yeah. sit and show to him powerbomb and do all his stuff and but yeah like if you if you did a deep dive of what was Savage in 95 96 you would get sick after about what 12 matches yeah yeah because um, yeah, it, it, it is kind of the Savage match formula at this point is and this it, match. And it was, I think there's a there's a few different things that contribute to that I mean this is also the time when Savage is Maybe not so much in this match, but it's the time period in which Savage begins to actually get really big in yeah, terms of like Jack. Yeah, like, by right, the time um, you get to end of the like... let's be honest. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, he's juicing to the gills by the end of it, you know. And it, it's kind of one of those sad things where it's... I mean, so Savage always had kind of quite an unusual face. Um, but you really do... It's in the face that you notice, like, Roy abuse, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And by the end of his sort of WCW run, it's just... It, 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 very, it looks like a different person. And it, it, that contributed, I think, to a bit of it as well. There was some injuries also, and some, some personal stuff he was, you know, um, had going on. But obviously, Savage is also someone that was incredibly famous for, um, you know, in, in, in opposition to the old school kind of generation who would famously go out and say, you know, if you're not a real worker, unless you can call it in the ring. Savage famously was um, uh, very, very, very um, um, sort of precise about how he wanted to lay matches out and would go through things with people um, to, um, you know, um, a, a very um, extreme extent before matches, to, to the point that it turns some people's noses up, actually. So I'm guessing maybe many years of, of, of dedicating yourself to it that much, you might have thought, is it really worth putting that much effort in now that I'm older and yeah. more tired? Yeah. And maybe I, just sort of, you know. To be fair, if I ever had to lay out a match with someone, you know, if you said you can lay out a match with anyone in the world, who would you choose? Jushin Lager probably, like, at least top three for me in terms of someone who... I, I, I've made this... I think I've made this claim before. I think Jushin Lager could literally wrestle anyone, any wrestler in the world and give you a perfectly serviceable match. Kali, Yoshihiko, anyone. He That's can it. do it because he has the brain for it and he has the knowledge and he knows what to do in, in these circumstances where... If you ever see a Lager singles match now, it is must-see because, oh. you know, you know he's going to be really good and you know that he can do it and that he can still work interesting matches. They're not all, you know, 2.9 kick-out powerbomb fests or anything like that. Great. Point, it's something yeah. different on the card as well. It's something different to look forward to. Honestly, these days with, like, the Super Juniors tournaments and that, honestly, I pretty much, before I watch anything else, I just wait for it all to finish. 
and then I, I look at the, I look for the Liger matches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what yeah. I do because he's, he's 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 he can't work the same it's way he used to. So what you see is someone that has to really think about right. I need my matches to be on the level, and I'm against a hell of a lot of younger guys here who've got a lot more in the tank. What do I do to make this good? And that to me is the mark of a great great wrestler. It's someone that yeah. can do that, you know. Um, re- regardless of their age, you'll see it here. Um, so yeah, uh, for sure. uh, getting into the match. Uh, uh, Savage takes so long coming out that so we probably could have got through uh, not only the pomp and circumstance match that he comes out to, but the other five as well. Uh, do, do you know? Um, do you know why it took him so long to get out? Well, the kayfabe reason is to why. Oh, it took him so what long was to get this? Out. It's because of the match the night before, isn't it? Yeah, he wrestled Flair, and Flair did an absolute number in his legs. So ah, yeah. Oh, that's uh, that's interesting. He was sitting limping coming out, and yeah, that that was why. Like it was. Uh, I'll tell you one thing in relation to that, which might which maybe seem like a right mark, but everyone knows I am already, so it doesn't matter. Um, when I first saw this match, it was quite. Um, when was it? Uh, it was long before we'd spoken about this, but I think it was about five years ago or something, something like that. Um, and I remember watching it, and I didn't know about the match the night before with Flair. And I'll be honest, right, I was pretty much taken in by the selling. I thought there was actually a genuine problem with Macho's um, leg um, un- until it got to the point where it became a bit more mannered, like, you know, once the, the middle of the match picked up and he was really playing into it. At the start, when he's walking out and he gets in the ring, I actually thought, this guy's legitimately injured. Yeah, there is a, funnily enough, there is a spot in the middle of the match where um, he misses an elbow drop and it mm. looks so rough because he takes it all on his legs and knees. He basically lands his legs and knees and I'm like, oh God, with your leg injury, you can't be doing that. And then I remember that I'm a total mark and it's actually kayfabe. It's the worst missed top rope elbow I've ever seen. Isn't it yeah. wonderful, that realising that you've been worked like that? That's it, that's great, that's what we're here for. You exactly. know? Um, that's all we want. So, uh, but yeah, basically they just do the old pose off at the start, gauging crowd support. Um, Liger does some rolls and kip-ups, uh, which Savage sort of patronisingly applauds. And then Liger gets the upper hand with his uh, quickness, like sort of does the old slide under his legs pose, which is uh, always good if you're against someone who's uh, somewhat of a lumberer by uh, comparison uh, to yourself. Uh, does a nice little cop Which is mental. We're talking about one of the best work great guys ever as being a bit of a lumberer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, it's, it's That's all, how good Liger is. You know. there's, there's also a very good turn of speed from Savage where Liger sort of does his sort of... Uh, dive where he sort of does a fake out and just hand springs against the ropes and Savage takes mm. a big silly pratfall over the barricade into the crowd. Oh, oh, I loved it. oh my god. It brings it evokes um like the Anita Bomb matches with the referees anytime like it's about to go oh, off you always yes. get the great action <laughs> movie dive. Phenomenal. It I, uh, I, I was thinking more Benny Hill, but still uh yeah. I mean, fair. Like, uh, you got, you got, you got to love that sort of shit. It's like proper old school. Like, it, it's amazing. Yeah, it's great. And uh, Liger does the other little. Uh, like now, Sarah always describes Liger as a adorable little goblin man. And there's some goblin esque yeah. offense uh, here where he just stomps on Savage's shin and uh, works yeah. the injured leg. Which uh, you know, if you know the context of the flare match, then uh, that's that's that'll really uh, inform that for you. Um, Savage shoves Liger, Liger, Liger out the ring and takes out a cameraman. Uh, the the old I Shawn Michaels uh, special, yeah, yeah, like uh, very much, uh, very much like that. And uh, Liger's just like this sort of middle section of the match. He's mostly just working the leg, like shin breaking on the barricade, whacking his leg against the post. Uh, the spinning toe hold. Ah, spinning toe hold was because I'm such a because I'm such a Terry Funk mark. There's nothing that makes me pop harder than the spinning toe hold. But uh, the problem with, with that is, is like by proxy, you are also having to mark out for Dory. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you got me there, Jesus! Like, nah, Terry's my de facto funk. 
Like, it's just that's it. Like, Terry and Dam, they're the only two funks. <laughs> my, my de facto funk is there. The that's a music reference. Band. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I said what about Flash, and you both blanked it. Oh no, 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 no! I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't hear it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I did. Blank if you said, if you said, I'd like Google it to be now. I would have been like, yeah, sweet. I think we're all trying to forget Flash Funk is, is like when you're like not even the most offensive pimp gimmick of that decade in the WWF. <laughs> Oh, I, don't, I get really upset because Two Cold Scorpio is like one of my all-time favourites when I think of Flash. A, a man movie. who invented the 450 Splash by accident by being too awesome and doing more flip than he tried to <laughs> Man, I could do a whole episode on Two Cold Scorpio, maybe one day. Like, a former GHC tag champion, so there is scope for it. Yeah. <laughs> With True. Vader. So uh, Liger, there's a very nice uh, frog splash when they uh, get back in the ring. Tries with the top rope Rana, which I genuinely would have loved to have seen uh, Macho Man take that. But uh, sadly, we don't get it. Then we get the... Yeah, uh, he's like, nah, sorry, son. Yeah, the, the top rope axe handle, the old 80s high flying as well. So that, oh, there was handle. another point in here um, where I'm just uh, really nice back because this happened in the first match that we reviewed for this episode where um, the... Oh, no, sorry, it was last episode where we... Um, they had an, a spot where somebody got caught in a leg hold and they got to the ropes and you couldn't free them. And that happened in this match as well. Oh, it was like, yes. take two episodes in a row where this has <laughs> happened. Um, we'll try and make it a hat trick. Um, the, um, the, oh, there's another, another great spot, which is this is classic LIGO, actually. So the aforementioned worst missed top, elbow, uh, top rope elbow I've ever seen, where it basically just oh, does a flying rough. nothing and falls over. And to be fair, if you're Matcha Man's age at that point, I probably want to go like uh, off the top rope and land directly on my hip bone either. So, you know, nah. why not? Uh, <laughs> nah. And then Liger does the uh, the old thing from, uh, you know that match uh, from the Super Jacob, actually, against the great Sasuke, where Sasuke yes, goes yep. for a springboard and fucks mm. it up. And just falls yeah. flat on his face, and Liger sarcastically applauds him, and then uh, then Sasuke runs him. It's like the best example of a botch improving the match. Oh. Uh, so we we get uh, the yeah. Just a note on the how quick Liger is to in that original one with the with with, with Sasuke it's to respond. Amazing. It's that is like again these intangibles that make you not just a great wrestler but one of the best ever. Absolutely. It's something like that. It's that level of being able to understand that how this works as an art and a craft. Right and instinctively so. And I I remember when I first saw that for the first time that match where he did that, I lost my shit because I was just like, you know, this is I was out it, my my sense my, my my sense of kind of um withholding my sense of disbelief was 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 gone was was gone. And all of a sudden, I'm back in, and I was like, "That is a fucking pro." <laughs> yeah, it's so, like this is the this is the um, the secret to Jushin Liger. Actually, is that you know he's yeah, this man, sort yeah. of colourful superhero character. But the secret to Jushin Liger is that Dickhead Heel Liger is the best Liger. Oh, what in yes. Noah? That yes, Noah. I was literally about to mention that. Oh, yeah, so good. GHC Black Junior Dark Heavyweight Liger. Title Run. He'd been at the pies a little bit at that time as well. And it's like you are not a Junior Heavyweight, sir. <laughs> He also had a was it Super Jacob two thousand where was it was it against Shima oh no or, or I'm thinking of the Dragon Gate match remember in Dragon Gate he turned up and fought Shima oh it was yeah just a total dickhead heel Day. it was a great great match so, yeah no, such that, a good heel man he's, he's he's brilliant so he uh, does a, a nice power bomb on uh, Matcha Man then the Liger bomb for two uh, Fisherman Buster for two 
Savage tries to come back, show Tafer two from Liger. He's really like a great show as well. Brilliant as well. It's so well sold. I mean, it's not as good as Cheeseburgers, but it's all right. <laughs> Cheeseburger, man who has legendary show Tay written. I what it, what must it be like to be? I think we mentioned this on the Wrestle Kingdom episode, but like a man who doesn't really wrestle that much all year, but gets to wrestle at the Tokyo Dome once a year in front of fifty thousand people. Like I think he's funny. It's brilliant. Uh, like he's living phenomenal. his best life. Um, he's he's also got one of the best themes in all of wrestling. His music. It sounds like um, a um, a steel band version of an instrumental um, E Street Band uh, track um, from Born to Run. That sounds absolutely amazing. Like it's, it's phenomenal, mate. To sing that out. Uh, Liger does the, sadly does the um, tries to do the same move twice in a row, which you should uh, which you should never do unless you're uh, finishing a uh, triple crown title match from the from the mid nineties. Um, or you're involved in my backyard wrestling federation. Oh, in yes, indeed. Oh, one power bomb didn't end you. Here's nine more. <laughs> Um, so he gets clotheslined and then uh, Macho Man goes up and does the top rope elbow. The sell of the clothesline, the sell of the clothesline is so good. It's just a backflip. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, again, I mean, this is man with a brain tumor. I, I like, I just like to go back to that. Um, <laughs> Backflipping on off a clothesline, yeah, incredible. fucking hell. And yeah, then the top rope elbow from Macho Man, like properly this time, and uh, well, just about, and uh, that gets the three count. So that yeah, that's the end of the match, and then we get an amazingly unsubtle promo. So there's a handshake and a hug, and then the Macho Man uh, says, mm. and this is a verbatim quote, Ooh, yeah, you're great. Thumbs up from the Macho Man to Liger, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> it's the Amazing. least subtle putting over of someone ever, and like I'd love to know how many people in the crowd understood it. I reckon they probably did. Right? It's quite. It, I reckon it's one of those things where it's a bit like when I'm like sometimes in Spain. If it's like a basic sentence like that, even if you don't understand all the words, you get the context. So they probably got it. Yeah, uh, the Macho Man's promo is usually hard enough to decipher for native English speakers. So like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was going to put this to you. Is there anyone in wrestling who who doesn't like Liger? Because if there is, then they're not. I don't. I'm not. That is. That I am. I will be hardcore anti-revisionist on anyone that wants to question Liger. Um, I. I. You know. Fuck. What is there to dislike? Like. I don't don't think I've ever encountered anyone. Honestly, I don't think I've ever encountered anyone that does. Even like, even like with this promo, it was like, yeah, he's putting them over, and it's very unsubtle. But you could genuinely see that Savage was just kind of like, you know, fair play, you lad. Savage knows a good worker when he sees one. You know, I, I, like, I, I don't think he'd have done that for like Akira Nagami or something like no. that. No, you think of the fucking people they could have put him against in like 1996. Yeah. Uh, you, mm. you, your fucking Michiyoshi Aharas and, uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Scar- Scarlet's brother. And, uh, you know, people like <laughs> that. <laughs> I just don't give a damn. It's not the it's not the best Savage match you'll ever see. It's certainly not the best Liger match, but like it's very clear that Savage is having a great time, sort of bumping around for this uh, for this guy and getting to perform in front of a, an unfamiliar audience. And there's not something you can necessarily say about Bret Hart in 1990. Oh, I mean, yeah, we've we've spoken about that before about Bret phoning things in. Um, on on the subject of that though, overall, to sum up, now we've gone through the play by play. I'd be interested to see overall. What did you guys think of this match? Well, because I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's, it's a weird one. This I'm not sure whether I actually like the match enthusiastically, 
Um, but it's so, also one of those things where I feel it's a bit churlish to say that because just the experience of being able to see these two guys in the ring together is yeah. enough. I mean, like, for me, as I said, like, I went for a run where I watched, like, all the Nitros and pay-per-views so on 95, 96, so I was well-versed in this match. I, I knew what was coming. The second I said, I was like, I know exactly what is happening here. And I wasn't upset by that. I was like, I really enjoy watching Randy Savage just bump about for people and then hit them with the elbow. It's still, like, five, six minutes long, you know, usually, and it, it, it's perfectly fine. It's not this, you know, Kenny Omega 45-minute self-conscious oh, thank fuck. It's just like it's a we contained like eight nine minute match and you know Savage bumps a bit for Liger. Liger is Liger. As I said, he can literally wrestle anyone and he would he would be a good match. I don't think I've ever seen him have a bad match. And like yeah, it's just it, it's just like I, I knew it was coming in here. I enjoyed the Savage match formula at this time. I enjoy Liger matches. I knew it was coming. I wasn't disappointed. It was good fun. I I think. I know it's like it's slightly above average as a match, but like I think if like this exact sequence of moves was done by just two like black trunks guys on like your, your local indie, like yeah, you know, it, you you probably wouldn't have thought very much of it. But yeah, it's like you say, like the the fact that it's Savage versus Liger, in uh, like you know, they, yeah, it's not a great match, but like uh, it's just really fun to see those two guys um, bounce off of each other. And you think about okay, what if it was um, like. Imagine if this match had taken place in 1989, mm. yeah. with those guys. Mm. But like, we didn't get that. So this is the this is the best and as far as I know, only version of uh, Macho Man yeah. Randy Savage versus Jushin Liger that exists. Yeah. So yeah, I think we should just be glad that yeah. this happened at all. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think the thing is with whenever I watch wrestling or any anything that I need to evaluate critically, I always watch it with like two two heads on. Is how I describe yeah. it. So I watch it with the my the first time when I'm just taking it in and I just enjoy it as, as, as an event, as a spectacle. Um, and then, but often those two things can contradict. So like, you know, if someone sits me down and goes, give me your, you know, your hardcore kind of like an in-ring analysis of, is this a particularly great match or anything? Then I'd be a lot more harsh on it. Um, I think mainly with it's things like there's, uh, I feel like there's almost like a lack of tension at points in the match because it is presented very much as an exhibition. Yeah, but then yeah, I get that yeah. from, I get that a lot anyway. Like I find it hard to watch a lot of modern indies because there's no real meat to the story that I'm seeing. Um, it's it's you a know. criticism but, you can make of a lot of these matches we've uh, reviewed yeah. in this in this uh, you know, couple of episodes, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. But even having said that, that that's with my kind of pointy-headed twat head on. Um, yeah. With my normal human being um, um, who enjoys actual fun head, um, then yeah, it's um, it's 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 a really good fun match to watch, you know. Yeah, it's great. Um, D- David, anything to add before we uh, get onto our final match? It's it's like it's a watch like for me it's a watching like Gremlins or something like that. You know, like you know when Gremlins is on, you'll watch it. You're not going to go out of your way to watch it, but if it's there, you'll watch it and you'll enjoy it. Gremlins. It's not the best film in the world, but you it's know, in the top like, five. Hi, it's fine. Like, <laughs> I mean, you've got like, Die Hard one, two, three. <laughs> Um, Citizen Kane, then probably Gremlins, I'd say. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it's always going to be good. You're never going to be disappointed watching a Savage Liger match. It's just no. not going to happen. So, of course you're not. Yeah, and, you know, yeah fine. Yeah, and, Cozy, warm. And honestly, yeah, like, way is. past his prime, voided up uh, Macho Man Mandy Savage. Like, still one of the best heavyweight workers in, like, the WCW main event at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like and that that if that's not a damning indictment of uh, of that company, then I, I I don't know what is. Um, so our final match. Um, we are going forward again in time. 
um, as we have done uh, for each of these matches. Uh, it's uh, the 10th of October 1997, and we are in a uh, promotion that we haven't covered before on the podcast. We are in Michinoku Pro to uh, see uh, Hakushi take on The Undertaker. Now, yes. um, so excited the, for this the, match. The thing is about The Undertaker... <laughs> um, we have mentioned him on the podcast before when we did uh, uh, WrestleMania. You may have heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, fairly famous. And, you know, that quite sad match he had with uh, Roman You may Reigns. remember him yeah. from his run around British Treasure Centres in the early 2000s. <laughs> That's right. You know, he had UK yeah. at the start of his name. American-style wrestling. <laughs> As seen on TV. Um, As seen on TV. But yeah, he's, he's not really... You know, him as a Hulkamania era guy, he's probably more closely associated with obviously the Attitude era and Ruthless Aggression era and the New Generation era. And probably, probably Hulkamania era is like the period of, of uh, wrestling in the WWF you and WWE you associate him with the least. But he unquestionably was in the Hulkamania era. He, era. he won his first. He makes his debut. He won his first WWF title from Hulk Hogan. Like he was yeah. certainly a contemporary of him. Um, like he made his debut at Survivor Series 1990. Have you ever heard the commentary on just that? After. Uh, the what? The, the commentary of The Undertaker's debut. They pointed this out on look the Look at the size podcast. of that ham hog. Yeah, no, look yeah, at the yeah, size yeah, of that ham hog. They, never, they never, uh, never play that line when uh, they uh, show footage of uh, The Undertaker's debut, like weirdly enough. Um, so yeah, uh, The Undertaker in Michinoku Pro. David, what the fuck was the deal with this? Like, please shed some light on it. I I have to I have to wonder like I mean the mind boggles I, I mean like Undertaker I have you ever worked have you ever worked in Japan I, yes I want, he has uh, not as he Undertaker has. but he had worked under the name Punisher Dice Morgan in uh in 1990 it was it may, maybe wasn't the tag league in New Japan but they certainly he certainly tagged in New Japan with uh, the Diamond Stud aka Scott the Hall Diamond Stud. yeah that's right yeah Undertaker yeah, Scott yeah. Hall tag team yeah. But I mean, that would have been like early, like like late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was. Long time ago. I always wonder what what would the Undertaker think of Japan? Like just going. To, I just I can't I can't what, read what, him in character. Or just I'll, as a person, like I I right. don't I don't know. Like he wouldn't be able to buy tobacco to spit. Like <laughs> you know, it's just, it just seems like a lot of hassle for him. I have to think that this has got to do with Canadian Stampede. Because this happened, what, a couple of months after Canadian Stampede when I remember on Saturday. Oh, yeah. oh that's that a very match. good point. You see, you it think it's like a quid pro quo for uh, the junior Yeah, player. when they got Sasuke over for yeah. it. Because this is the only thing. Got. And obviously, at this point, Takamichinoku was, you know, still ingrained with uh, Michinoku Pro. So it says to me. Although, am I right in saying, did you not work Puerto Rico around this time as well? Um, I, I think. They had this relationship so. with, uh, was it with WWC? WWC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so the, like, the, the Cologne promotion. Maybe he was just doing like a Jill Dando holiday sort of thing where he was just like, you know, going to all these exotic locations. Like, you know, he's in Japan this week and then Puerto Rico. I, I thought that was going to be another bad taste joke then when you started out with Jill Dando, how, but thank God it wasn't. Not, uh, Judith Chalmers, that's one I was thinking of. I wasn't that's, gonna say that's Jill, right, Judith Chalmers. Judith Chalmers, yeah. wish you were here. Yeah, The Undertaker, yeah. wish you were here. But, the like, permanently leathery-skinned brownness of Judith Chalmers. <laughs> I thought you were going to say The Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a pasty cunt. Yeah, yeah no. the, um, better call him A, better call him B. Um, it, like, it's, it must be to do with that. And I, I feel that at this point, because, I mean, this would have been around about the time we had the Brett and Sean. Was it Vader? Vader was still there? Yeah, because Vader was, this is 1997, Vader was still in the effect. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. this just before, like, 
In fact, do you know what it will have been? Because this will have been around just before the Hell in a Cell match. Like, very, very yes. just before Oh, the yeah, yeah, match. yeah, because that's the end. Is that the end of the year 97 or near the end of the year? It's, it's in October 97. It's, it's yeah, maybe only a couple yeah. of weeks before the Hell in a Cell. This if, week. If it might explain had. why The Undertaker was maybe, maybe taking it a little bit easy in this match. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, uh, but I mean, if somebody said to you, hey, Undertaker, we'd like a free trip to Japan, you just need to wrestle one match, I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, actually, the um the storyline. The Hell in a Cell match yeah. was five days before this. But ah! five days before. Oh shit! Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Five days before October. But George, your so. comment still stands. I think. Yeah, 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 even more so now, really. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> hell. Um. But yeah, I I heard a little bit about the storyline mm. reason for this uh, match. Um. So as I understand it, Hakushi was in a feud with uh the Great Muta. That's right. And so there yeah. were a lot of the mystical sort of things. It was like, I think the storyline was he, like, the Mo- uh, the Undertaker was like an emissary of the Great Muta. And actually, this um, this um, feud actually relates to an earlier episode uh, that we did, uh, believe it or not, uh, episode seven, uh, because um, under their other gimmicks, uh, Muta and Hakushi uh, had a match in New Japan. Because do you remember mm. when we reviewed uh, Takada versus Hashimoto? And yeah. there was like this off-putting amount of blood on the mat, and we're oh, that, like, yeah, "Oh, so where strong. did that come from?" That was from Muto versus Shinzaki from earlier yeah. in the show. So it's the, it's the it's the same guys. That's right. So yeah. it, I don't know if yeah. it had something to do with like it was tied into New Japan Kayfabe or whether it was a uh, completely different yeah. thing. Um, I was I was I was just going to point out as well because you used both names then just to clarify to people. Yeah, that that, that this is Hakushi in the WWF in, in his run there. In the, most famously in the New Generation era, and others might know him as Jinzei Jinzaki if you saw him in maybe ECW um, or, um, or, or, or another place. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. And like, it, it, the thing I really, well, uh, uh, I was going to say, like, it was really interesting this time because this was like full on peak of Michinoku Pro. Like, oh, yeah. This mm. is absolute pinnacle. It's ninety six and ninety seven. Because barely. Uh, that's legal. it. I always think ninety six, ninety seven for their like peak peak years, and then ninety five yeah, yeah. is the year when they started getting the buzz and, and people started hearing about yeah, them. Yeah, you because know? there's a whole run of just, like mad eight mans and like Shinsaki. I want to say he was the um the only non junior heavyweight. In Michinoku Pro, very similar to like Shingo Takagi nowadays in Dragon Gate. He's, he well, was a not, very not anymore in Dragon Gate, but yeah, I know. Well, not, not, yeah. yeah, but like a similar role where he was not a junior, but he wrestled with the juniors and kind of used that um, there. But yeah, like this is like it's just mad that this happened, especially at that time when it's just absolute peak, you know, Kanetai DX. Yeah. And, and, Sasuke and stuff like that. And, and obviously you've got um you know um uh, people um non um um, um p- people that are not that as, as well versed in Japanese wrestling as others might obviously remember uh, Kaintai being a thing also in the WWF um indeed but but with yeah yeah but we're talking about <laughs> yeah, very good God Jeez. but we're we're talking about obviously two there's there's two very different kind of periods of, of Kaintai and the kind of um kind they were always kind of um 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 put forward as like these kind of comedy. Uh, vague, either 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 heels or um kind of um just a buffoonish uh kind of a uh, geeks uh you know yeah um which yeah. is you know which is crazy actually because they were probably some of the best workers on the roster oh, yeah. the um but um you know the earlier version of Kaintai is my favorite uh, where they're sort of um bombing about it's a bit more similar to the Japanese version where they're bombing about with their sort of cut off jorts and their DMs on and yeah. their sort of um, uh, punk rock t-shirts and that and you've got the the my absolute fucking bay uh fucking Dick Togo. 
And dick to go. Dick to go. Dick to go. Dick to go. Dick to go, please, wait, sir. And a, a three lambooners. <laughs> Um, what was it? Yeah, like Dick, Dick to go, um, Men's Tail or Teddy Boy, as it was known, Ooh. and Kaz Hayashi, which I feel always gets overlooked because people just associate him with WCW. But Kaz Hayashi as well was in that group, and like he done really, he done quite well in WCW afterwards, and did quite what he's doing quite well for himself now. He's still he's working for Wrestle One, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he was like junior. I'm sure he's had junior tag champion quite recently and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah he's still spent a lot of time in all on the go. That, yeah. Um, yeah. the uh, the the thing about Hakushi that always gets me is um, so all the kanji that's on him. Yeah. You know, like um, when um, Albert uh, came back to uh, WWE and mm-hmm. be- and became Lord Hentai uh, back in like uh, twenty twelve. <laughs> um, so he said yeah, Lord Hentai. Lord Hentai, yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> and uh, uh, similar. That's no way to speak about giant Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> Giant Bernard. What a fucking name. When I first saw someone talking about Giant Bernard on a forum, I thought they meant a shit racist comedian from the 70s. <laughs> oh, very good. Giant Bernard versus his mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that, 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 that would be Giant Dawson. If it was uh, if it was Giant Bernard, it'd be Giant Bernard versus anyone who wasn't white. <laughs> Fucking racist scumbag. What? I'm glad he's fucking dead. What a shit house. Actually, was... <laughs> Albert's dead. <laughs> Mate, he's, doing, he's doing all right for himself, apparently. His, uh, his twin brother is now training people at the performance centre and doing quite well for himself, so I think he's creaming himself off that speaking, money. Speaking of like old racist comedians, there was a, you know, that um, climate protest that's been going on uh, recently, and they've blockaded a load of roads, and one of, there was yeah. just this video. Extinction of, Rebellion, it's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. There was a video of um, uh, Jim Davidson. Uh, getting held up by these, and like I'm, I'm in generally in favour of like the most radical forms of climate activism you can possibly imagine. But like Absolutely. anything that inconveniences Jim Davidson, that's just the icing oh. on the cake, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that, 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 that's I the small victories that you need in every political struggle to give you faith to keep going. Yeah. Do you know the the story about Jim Davidson and Tanya? You must have Oh, this. what? No. Well, hold on. I will make Tanya. Yeah, our mate Tanya. Oh, fuck, where, I gotta hear this. Uh, you know how Jim Davison always does the circuit in like, uh, October and November? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, right, yeah. Well, uh, he, there's been lots of posters around Glasgow, and Tanya once in, uh, initiated a smear campaign against Jim Davison where they would write on every single poster, cunt and big letters over his face. That's not, no, it, it's, it's a smear campaign if it's not true. That's like, that's just a <laughs> well, yes, Sorry. Um, yeah, we'll retract that. But yeah, like, they, they went through a, a total phase of finding every single Jim Davison poster in Glasgow and writing cunt on the, fa- on the, on the face. And uh, I'm, I'm sure Tanya used to do this for like multiple years. That's I don't good even practice. think it was at one year. Yes, very good practice. Uh, up there with Correct the time, praxis. Yeah. Up there with the time Tanya once uh, marks the nearest free cash machines locations on an, on a pay cash machine in Glasgow. Um, yeah, yeah, that's just yeah. F- fucking great. Fucking no, that's a really times. cool thing actually. Um, like um, uh, yeah, I've I've um, I was involved in a few groups that this is after that that, that did something. Something similar, yeah. That's a that's a really cool. Uh, I always had the yeah, idea so. of not that I would uh, do this, but like I always had the idea of a database of um, train stations without ticket barriers. Because yeah. they've they've just got rid of. I don't know why, but they've got rid of the ones like in. Um, there used to be a, there used to be a thing. 
there used to be a thing, I, the listeners will, will at least, I think, probably find this amusing, so we can probably keep it in, uh, in relation to this, just as a segue. We're only talking about two matches, so you're going to get some fluff listeners. Well, four, four matches, Daniel. You're, you're uh, giving the game oh, away. Oh, I've, I've messed that up, haven't I? recorded like a month apart from each other. Oh, no, I've botched. I've botched that. Now now, now they're going to think we're not competent and I can't imagine why they, you know. <laughs> I don't um, understand what you mean. This is a, this is um, being recorded in January 2020. <laughs> <laughs> two months. Yeah. What are you on about, guys? Uh, but um, in Newcastle, um, where I used to live, when I first moved there, one of the first, like, um, um, uh, sort of um, uh, things that I was involved in was um, this place called the Star and Shadow, which is a bit like the Tabacalera I was just talking about before. Uh, and it's a community sort of venue and... Um, um, we um, heard from this guy who, sta- who started up this Facebook page, and it was called Checky Watch. Now, Checky is obviously the, the name that we use in Newcastle um, for people that um, come and check your tickets on the Metro, right? The, the underground. Um, and it was basically informing, because what the way it used to be in Newcastle was that you didn't have to show your ticket when you got on. You just bought a ticket, got on, and then, so you could actually get ride for free a lot, you know. Um, and there was this guy, so he, he was just this lad from like this local lad, set up this thing called Checky Watch. He was like a teenager. Um, and um, it was it blew up a little bit. They got in the local press and stuff, and it was actually providing quite a good service because it was letting you know when you could ride for free. Um, and he started doing all sorts of mad stuff, like trolling uh, like the people that were actually doing the tick the check in if they were really sort of horrible and vicious. Like he'd sort of take a picture of them and then just write insults about them. Um, so it was a bit sort of uh, it was a bit kind of a vigilante-ish, which I'm not always in favour of. But you know, it was it was, it was quite a fun uh, little thing to do that sort of pissed we, off the right people. Well, uh, David, me um, and you got to. Uh... Dumbarton and back, which was like two changes for free, um, yes, quite recently. Exactly. When and I told this to my parents, and my parents were like, "Oh, is that not fair dodging?" And I said, it's not fair dodging. Like literally, no one came round to ask if we wanted to buy a ticket. He's one of those yeah. the train things. I'm not just seeking out the the, the train fashion and uh, and uh, saying, "Oh, by the way, can I give you some money?" Yeah, I mean, context for this for international listeners: um, UK train travel is prohibitively expensive a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and outrageously poor in quality. So um, fair dodging is kind of um, something which um, a lot of us try and do if we can, um, it, you know, because um, yeah, it's it's not a good good good, good system that we've got at the minute. I mean, every um, time I every time I go to stay with George, I have a four-hour shit in a train just to avoid to yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, everyone you know has got a sort of story about that, you know, um, or, or or whatever. So yeah, um, but this guy actually ended up turning out to. Um, uh, become a bit of a liability because um, he started he started getting a bit power hungry. It all went to his oh, head. No, and he uh, he, he he called um, a because uh, he'd been in the local paper on the news. So he called a protest in the city centre near Monument, which is like where all the protests happen. And it was him and about like ten other people uh, like that he'd, that had come off the internet. And then the local press came down. And it was a washout. Uh, and the best part about this was that this well-meaning lad that I knew from the, the Star and Shadow, who was a young um, a, a young uh, anarchist comrade, he um, designed a banner for it, but he, no one fucking checked it before it got there, and he left the C out of Checky. Um, so it just said, like, check, check, Checky with a K. Uh, you know, uh, and that was on the news. And then soon after that, the guy started... We had to disassociate... We weren't really associated with him, but we had to sort of take a step back from um, chatting to him because he ended up posting loads of mad conspiracy theory, um, like bullshit about David Icke and the fact that Julian Assange is definitely not an allegedly rapist (laughs) and, and, um, you know, all this mad shit. Uh, So, uh, yeah, it all got a bit weird in the end, but that was an odd segue, but there we go. Up there was a time that Dialabuz got outed as fash. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I did not know about this. The Glasgow Dialabuz is fash. I told you about this the last time you were up in Glasgow. Don't tell me that. Never used dial booze in Glasgow, Daniel. 
he he started posting loads of EDL stuff. Don't do it. Oh, oh fuck's no. sake! It's always the one. That's literally my one rule as well: is don't give them money. Like I'll 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 drink their beer, but I won't give them money. Fuck. Oh well. I know, and that's that's also for sex listeners. Um, don't use dial beers in Glasgow because he's fash. Yeah. So there you go. Um. So. Uh, anyway, two people that aren't, as far as we know, fash, although Undertaker. I was gonna say. Campaign, yeah. Is. Uh, and, like, Hakushi probably supports the fucking LDP as well. But, uh, actually, I was going to say before we get to the match, like, um, how the fuck... Oh, yeah, I was talking about, like, so uh, Hakushi and Lord Hentai, they had this, um, like, kanji written on them. How long does that take to do? Like, mm. that must take... Because there's so many characters on Hakushi's body. Like, do you know, have they got, like, a stencil and then they just spray him I with, like, paint? No, I think I think I think they must for for um for for Hakushis because um you would have thought they would they would have figured something out like that because it, it's an incredible amount of effort to go to every show, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, see, Jim Davison saves the time by just writing cunt in his face and <laughs> so, <laughs> doing it all over his body. He's not got time for this. Just right across. I'm going to get a tattoo on my face of Jim Davidson's face with cunt written on his head. <laughs> It's like, imagine a version of Memento where it's just <laughs> Jim Davidson remembering he's a cunt every two minutes. Well, no, at, the, the, at the end, the big revelation's like, oh, so I was a massive racist. Ah, <laughs> that's a shame. <laughs> I was hoping I would have been like a doctor or <laughs> an astronaut. Turns out I was just a racist wanker. <laughs> Chalky White was an offensive stereotype. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Or as he's known in Newcastle to Daniel's former anarchist comrade, Chacky White. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, brilliant. Um, Excellent so, uh, work. Excellent I guess we better talk about the match, haven't we? Um, yeah, so if you're wondering why we're talking so much shit about other things, it's because this match is pretty unremarkable. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's not great. Um, the entrance is fucking awesome, though. Um, yeah. Oh, the entrance is dope. Like, the which uh, reminded me of uh, Wrestle Kingdom 8 when Prince Devitt came out dressed as... Um, as yeah. uh, uh, Carnage. Um, I later found that's out right. that like a massive via Rob Liefeld is uh, was responsible for the creation of that character. So uh, no, that's uh, true. That can't draw feet either, um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he can't draw feet. And they actually made a joke about that in Deadpool too, um, which I was uh, I was the he's only the, person the, in the he's cinema. He's the who inverse laughed. of Holbein with hands. Oh, very good. Hands. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's I did one good. module of fucking art history when I was at university. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, but the, not only do they bring him out in a coffin, they can't just leave him there, like Hakushi lying face down in the ring. Um, and he's just, um, he's there. Like, have you ever seen that video of that Russian toddler, like, leaning down to have a look at the ice and just falling on her head? <laughs> I'm not. It's I'm, very funny. I'll add that to the list. Um, uh, so, that kind of reminds me of that. Huge pop for The Undertaker's Dong. Like, um, oh, yeah. as, as, as there would be. Um, the ma- the I have to say the most interesting part of this match is probably the opening. So uh, Hakushi is up, uh, sort of zombie like, and uh, Taker hits him with a massive choke slam, like huge air on that uh, on that. Bump. Oh yeah, and it kind of looks like in the sort of story of the match, it was kind of just to put the frighteners on him because Taker doesn't go for a pin after the choke slam. Yeah. It's like one of his uh, signature moves. He just. Uh, he basically brings out the old classics, the clothesline uh, gets a two count, uh, old school gets old a, school. A, a two count, and then um, there's an Irish whip, and Hakushi takes the Sergeant Slaughter bump to the outside, you know, when he gets whipped into yeah. the corner and actually goes over the road. Uh, By the way, I'm so glad you attributed that to Slaughter. Yeah, how mad is it that, like, that's what we know as the Thank Sergeant you. Slaughter bump? 
It's like in the yeah. same way as you do the sort of fucking half twist when you get lariated, and that's the Rikishi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. course, course. <laughs> These yeah, are two yeah, massive yeah. blokes. Or the, my, my other favourite one would be the much lesser spotted um, go into the turnbuckles chest first off the Irish whip, which would be Bret Hart. Bret Hart. Oh, of yeah. course, yeah. Um, the, I was really confused by this at the first five minutes because I just seen two zombies competing against each other and I thought we were watching Rangers versus Airdrie. Oh! But... <laughs> Fuck off, Semko. Fuck off, Semko. <laughs> and fuck Airdrie as well. <laughs> I oh. had to. I seen two zombies, and I was like, "How can I formulate a ranger stroke? How can I do it?" While we're at it, fuck United and fuck Real Madrid. <laughs> anyway, carry on, everyone. <laughs> That's our all bases covered yeah, now. Got, you say fuck Real Madrid, but by the time this comes out, White Wolf will be re- wrestling at the Bernabeu, so <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan will be relegated. So fuck it. Uh, um. So uh, yeah, there's a um. There's some slow action uh, comes up uh, after that from. Uh, Taker, um, Hakushi doesn't really get very much offense in at all at the uh, at the start of this match. Um, Taker misses the elbow and then you know the sit up. And this was at the time before he'd sort of figured out that less is more with this because like every time he got to his feet, he was doing the Undertaker sit up, like the classic one. Whereas you think of his matches from like ten years after this, like that's a big spot. It's the um, yeah, it's like he sits up and his opponent looks terrified. It's almost as if if they're thinking, I've done it now, I've gone and made a big mistake. I, I, I'm really stunned, and I think maybe this is because they didn't really interact afterwards, but I'm really shocked that, that the diving headbutt sit-up spot never happened in a match with Benoit. You'd have thought that would have been a perfect spot for that. The, the floodgates have opened with the Benoit chat now, haven't they? <laughs> It, I mean, it is very, it is very dangerous because I mean, you could absolutely just like crack your head off him when he's coming down. But oh, you're, you're I've seen it immediately. Thought, yeah, it is, uh, it is yeah, quite no, surprising. That, I like the idea. Taker is sort of doing some like quite slow offense at this uh, point. Now, Taker is. Um, it's kind of, well, I guess not unfortunate because, like, you watch his real early matches as The Undertaker. He's very slow, slow moving, a lot of choking, a lot of nerve holds. But that's that's the gimmick. He's a sort of undead guy. It would be weird if um, he was uh, if he was doing things that were quick. But, like, for a guy his size, he, he's so athletic. He just never really showed oh, yeah. it very much in, like, the first, like, seven, eight years as The, the Undertaker. Because Hakushi does a Rana um, uh, at one point in this match and Taker bumps yeah. through it really well. Yeah, yeah, he really does. Like, I've seen some really athletic wrestlers who, uh, and much smaller wrestlers who don't bump half as well for Rana's as uh, Undertaker does. Yeah. I mean, it became a bit of a cliche, didn't it? You know, it was like the football thing, you know, and great feet for a big man. But, like, um, (laughs) it used to happen a lot in every commentary, especially the the new generation era through to the sort of early parts of the Attitude Era, which were kind of in here. Um, you know, getting towards um, the, 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 well, just after the Bad Blood pay-per-view and stuff and moving through 97, 98. Um, you know, that, it was a bit of a cliche, but it was true, you know, um, um, as well. And this is at a time when now you've got, you know, a lot of American uh, workers who are very big guys, but are incredibly athletic. Um, I mean, um, you know, you could you could run through a whole range of people from kind of Donovan Dijak through uh, Bob. Um, <laughs> fucking hell. I nearly said Bob Sapp. Um, Bob I didn't Sapp, mean, please. I did not mean Bob Sapp. Okay. I was thinking of a guy who is also a very, very big guy with a similar build, but isn't quite as jacked as Bob Sapp. Uh, Keith Lee. Um, like, uh, you know. My, my, like, fav- uh, my favourite wrestler named after a town in Yorkshire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Like, uh, oh man. But you know, um, so it's a lot more common these days. But um, he was in bursts um, capable of great athleticism. And it's why old school became this kind of lumbering, oh God, this again. But I remember being younger and being like, well, back in the day, being like, fucking hell. It's, but that's mental. It's genuinely so impressive because, like, uh, recently I saw Kaman Bolshoi at Pro Wrestling Eve and she does uh, that spot. But she's like four foot ten and like 90 something pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, it's like, if. Yeah, if Katie fucking Canazaro's doing it or someone, then it's like, yeah, fine, I expect that. But, like, yeah. you know, fucking me, Mark. <laughs> me, Mark Callis is doing it. Not. Yeah, fuck. Um, the, the, I mean, the you power expect, power. Yeah, you wouldn't expect the greatest pure striker in combat sports <laughs> to be going to the top rope. <laughs> I think Incredible you'll find scenes. Shane McManus used to it. For Incredible that. scenes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. The yeah. best best uh, in the world. Just, uh, Phil, Phil Nurse trained Shane McMahon, by the way. Uh, so. <laughs> Absolute madness that, uh, like, fucking Shane McMahon actually has trained with one of the best striking <laughs> Shane McMahon woke up winner, Jules Rimet still gleaming. <laughs> it's coming home, it's, it's coming going. home to Greenwich, <laughs> wrestling's coming home. Uh, Just imagine an open top. Bill Nurse in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, get, um, later in this match, Hushi uh, has a bit of offence. Uh, he does a really cool bit where, like, uh, Taker uh, tries to choke slam and Hushi does a backflip out of it uh, into a kind of dragon screw type thing. And Taker really starts selling the leg after that and um, ends up in the ends up in the tree of row. He fights back with his sort of fairly rote offence, like punches, chokes, as we were saying. And... Um, Hagushi uh, sort of chops him down like a redwood. He's sort of like stomping him on the leg a lot and then gets up to the top rope and does. Um, it's not the sitter, but he does do a flying headbutt off the top rope to the Undertaker's leg. And it's at yeah. this point I've just got in brackets how is this guy still wrestling? <laughs> I am a huge fan of the move that would usually hit on, like, um, impact on one part of the body being instead used to target another part of the body, if that makes oh, sense. Tanahashi I, I that. does that with a high fly floor quite a bit. He does, yes. he does, yeah. and I like that It's, it's also like when someone one tries of the many things to, I like uh, about Tanahashi. Someone tries a lariat and they get, like, big booted in the arm, like, I really like, uh, I really like that. Yes! Oh, I love a big yeah, boot in like the arm! Little, little strike so exchanges similar. where they're using their, their limbs to hit other people's limbs. Like, yeah. uh, like that, that's, that's fucking great. I love that. Start also, for that stuff, actually. tangential and slightly esoteric, but related. Um, one of my favourite things is the um, is when someone blocks with their hands a strike. Like that. Yes. Oh, yeah, I love that. Like the, the listeners can't see what I'm doing, but I'm holding my hands kind of in front of my face. Like, like, yeah, like they're that, sort of like, mm, they're like doing that yeah. struggle. Yeah, love that's it. really, that's really cool, man. Um, yeah. There's a uh, plancher by Hakushi to the outside, but uh, take a catch and just drives his back into the post. Uh, that's yeah. very good. And uh, then we get the... Um, Again, like amazing athleticism from uh, the Undertaker, like that flying clothesline he'd do, um, where he sort of runs yeah. across the ring and uh, and he sort of does that. It's like it's like sort of Kane's top rope clothesline. You think like you probably don't need to do this, but like no. I'm quite glad that you do. Um, and then there's a sort of um, uh, sort of finishing sequence wherein. Uh, Taker goes for the tombstone and Hakushi slips out and does a dragon screw. Uh, top rope moonsault gets to lovely form on the uh, on the moonsault as well. And uh, then we actually... Oh, ever so much purchase. Ever yeah, so much purchase. And then, actually, David, you said about that spot, we actually do get it, the um, the top rope headbutt. Um, and the Undertaker yeah. sits up. Um, like, again, the the timing to do that is, uh, is quite uh, something. Yeah, like, if you mess up, I mean, like, you're cracking your head open at a watermelon, it's... 
Yeah. He was incredibly risky. That's probably why it never happened in a Benoit match against The Undertaker. But, you know. You're going to fucking Humpty Dumpty your fucking head if, like. uh, Yeah, absolutely. If you get that even slightly wrong. And uh, then there's a gigantic choke slam from The Undertaker, which uh, isn't the finish, but then he gets the tombstone for three, and that's the end. So, kind of one sided, really. But, and, like, not really that great a match. But, like, again, it's, it's like Magic Man. Like, to see The Undertaker in the classic Undertaker gimmick, not fucking Punisher Dice Morgan or Mean Mark Callis or Booger Red. Um, he's or Texas Red was his old, uh, his old, yeah, old gimmick, yeah, yeah. Um, but like the Undertaker in fucking Michinoku Pro, uh, wrestling yeah. uh, a guy Incredible working under his new generation WWF gimmick. Yeah, like that. I I, ca- I kind of wish we had got like a mental mission to Pro Ten Man with the Undertaker just swatting all oh. the juniors. How oh, good would yeah. that have been? Oh man, imagine that! Oh. Fucking like Grand Hamada popping up. <laughs> Oh, that Gran Hamada with his Zimmer frame. Mate, don't even... I, I legitimately love Gran Hamada, man. We'll, we will talk about Gran Hamada at some point on this podcast, because... Yeah. Wow. Gran Hamada, still collecting the heating allowance and trying to hall. With his ear trumpet. Are you on the link? Are you on the link, Gran? Very the link? Kip. <laughs> Just spends all his days watching Challenge. Yeah, shout minute question time. Why won't you? Why won't you? You're the leader of your party. Won't even put his finger on the nuclear button. How's he going to make a decision about Brexit? Got 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 really got relieved of his uh, life savings by an unscrupulous fake heating engineer. <laughs> <laughs> Only wears shoes made by Echo. <laughs> ever ever such safe souls. Is this ageism? Probably not, is it? It's fine. It's borderline. <laughs> it's the borderline. last acceptable form of discrimination. It's fine. Yeah. Grand Hamada <laughs> could kick all of our arses, right? So oh, I mate. It's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, a couple of things I wanted to mention here. Um, first of all, it was just one mention on um, on, on the aesthetics here of, of this, in particular related to The Undertaker. Um, now, I'm not one to often get caught up in the semiotics of apparel, but... Um, <laughs> Undertaker in, in in this period is for me one. Of, I always laugh when I see him. I know it sounds terrible because there's a couple of there's, it's weird from the the start when the early Undertaker when he's still got kind of the, the, the curly ginger hair instead of the long black yeah. hair. Um, and there's that and there's also this period here where he's kind of between this and what's about to become in a couple of years the Ministry look, which is much darker goth, right? Um, and I always think in these periods where it's it's sort of not quite the aesthetic's not quite fully there yet. It's going into something else. He always reminds me of one of two things. One, slightly scary dinner lady who moonlights on base for the Sisters of Mercy. Yes. <laughs> and number two, a warden from Cell Block H. <laughs> Do you know what Cell Block H is, Josh? Um, Prisoner Cell Block H. Prisoner Cell Block H. My nana's favourite drama programme. For those that don't know, it was an Australian import to British TV that was shown at Strange Hours and had famously wobbly cardboard scenery and terrible acting. And was basically about Bobby Sands' uh, cell block age as well. <laughs> but I actually will have you know that it, the H blocks was the name of the prison, not the actual uh, cells. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm doing I'm doing a PhD proposal on this shit at the minute, so I'm really tech job. Though. An electoral model maze here. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Right, but this has gone so many levels of puro puri that I'm not even sure what we're talking about anymore. Yeah, but um... Undertaker's aesthetic. He's a dinner lady that plays her sisters of mercy. 
yeah, yeah. So that 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 that, that that's um you know that, that that that's one of them, and then the other one is the, the Subway Cage Club. The other thing I wanted to ask you guys was um, we've spoken about the match. I thought maybe it might be a good idea just to speak finally about maybe a little bit of more about Michinoku Pro, what it was, and, and... Uh, before we do that, I do want to say I, I I kind of found the demographic for this match, and it's people with an ASMR fetish. Because see the commentary, right? I swear to God, you know how sometimes you'll get like when you're watching a New Japan show, they'll hit like a big move and go wow, <laughs> like, you know that sort of. Yeah. If somebody was doing that. Somebody was doing that in this match, right? But quite quietly, she was like, <laughs> throughout the whole match. And I'm like, if you if you get off in sounds, then you know you you just buy the Michinoku Pro streaming services for this, like just yeah. for this match, because you just get off all the time. Sadly, I mean, like, sadly, it's one of the few fetishes I don't have, which is a shame, but. Mm. I mean, like, getting the skin tingling, that's all I was saying this man. The best, the the best ASMR is uh, It's Kiyamazaki from the Jumping Bomb Angels just eating noodles. <laughs> that is the thing that exists. Niche. Even for us, that is niche. Nakanish. <laughs> oh, uh, very good. Um, so, that's right. uh, yeah, like, um, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, it's the. It's the, it's the uh, it's the mistake of Sakushi. Like, just it's like pretty much all these matches. It's like that awful Jim Duggan garbage we talked about at the top of the episode. Like, fucking watch all this stuff. I'm not kidding. In terms of like average match quality, this is probably one of the shittest like uh, run of matches that we've ever reviewed. But like, it's all amazing because of just the sheer what the fuckery of it. Absolutely. All I see is. Can I describe this match in a word? No. Can I describe it in a sound? Yes. Uh... <laughs> oh, David, don't. <laughs> Nearly <Yeah>. there. And if you want to put up a podcast ASMR, we do do requests. There's at least one listener who has hit Climax right now. This isn't even a joke. If listeners want to DM me on Twitter at the ultimate poo, I'll basically do anything on camera if you give me money. Um, so, yeah, animal, vegetable, mineral. Just fucking send your requests my way. Um, I'll, I, I'll, I'll probably, you know, I'd, I'd say about 50 quid a pop for the really hardcore stuff, but 10 or 20, I'll, you know, Daniel, or something. <laughs> yeah. Just, I wanted to add that, um, obviously, just for a little bit of context, um, Michinoku Pro, and you guys might be able to correct me on this because I'm not an expert of any means. To my understanding, Michinoku Pro is something which, as we said, becomes quite prominent and in tape trading circles um, after its um, formation. 95, 96, it really begins to yeah. go off. A lot of people had their first exposure to it through um, ECW's first ever pay-per-view, Belly Legal, um, in which there is um, a match with um, uh, Grand Naniwa, uh, the legendary, uh, much-missed Grand Naniwa, rest in peace, um, uh, Gran Hamada is Taker in that match as well I think yeah 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 I think, so. yeah, I think Terry uh, Boy and uh, Dick Togo and that's right yeah, yes yeah. CG Yasuoko so, I think um, yeah and then obviously as we said before they run the WWF but Michinoku Pro was basically founded um, as one of the I think the first organisations in 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 Japanese Pro that got that level of success that was um, outside Tokyo is that right yeah it was based in Tohoku isn't it so that's sort of is like Wate Prefecture, is that right? Yeah, it's sort of like north of Tokyo, I think. Yeah, right, yeah. right, yeah. So it was weird at the time to hear about this promotion that wasn't. That was kind of the thing that I would hear. It was like, oh, it's not one of the big ones from uh, Tokyo. It's like this new independent thing. Um, and um, 
style-wise, um, not dissimilar to um, the sort of Toromon Dragon Gate in some senses, but I think Toromon Dragon Gate took those things much further in terms of the yeah. flippiness. It's loot You can definitely see the joints, or you can definitely see... Yeah, know. for sure, for sure. But a lot of smaller guys um, working um, quite a fast pace, but also with you know great technical wrestlers and guys that know how to do old-school um, wrestling stuff like Dick Togo. Um, and so that's kind of the context for, for that lot, and they've got a lot of buzz around this time yeah. from these things. So, uh, Johnny you know. Sane wrestled for them in 1996. That's right. That's right. Um, that was his last Isn't match. Dynamite Kid, to be fair. That, that, was that the, um, the show. Um, Days Like These? The Days Like These show? Yeah, These it, Days, yeah, yeah. These Days, yeah. At uh, Sumo Hall, yeah. It, uh, yeah. That had uh, Johnny Saint on. Um, uh, that was his last match for years. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And there was a, a mad shit 10-man tag, including a lot of the people that we've just... Uh, that we've just mentioned. Uh, Super That's Dolphin right, I've seen that well. one as well. Uh, Tiger Mask 4 got a start in uh, uh, Michinoku Pro. Um, yeah, they, this, they, check out this match. Uh, Dos Karas, Dynamite Kid and Kuniaki Kobayashi against the great Sasuke, uh, another Tiger Mask, and uh, Mil Maskaris. I've never seen that and it sounds fucking amazing. Yeah, it's, watching Dynamite Kid is really sad because he can barely fucking move, but like the other the other guys are like, they can still go. Yeah, like, that sounds like my jam. Degrees. Uh, yeah, 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 just really grim matches involving people who can't move. Except yeah. a whole bunch of kabuki matches from 2017 18 for you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, don't be down on uh, Michinoku Pro just because we didn't have, we didn't think a lot of that, uh, of that yeah, match. For sure. like, it was really groundbreaking, huge influence on Takara actually as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, if you watch, uh, yeah, start with the, the These Days show from uh, 1996. Mm. Like, very diverse mix of stars, but there's some really good shit on that show. Like, uh, I guarantee we will do. We will do a Michinoku Pro episode at yeah. one point. Oh, that's really going like to that. happen. It's going to happen, yeah. yeah, yeah so they're an um, important so... company in the history of wrestling. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention in relation to that was you, you said correctly, George, you know, don't judge Michinoku Pro on this match. Don't judge Hakushi on this match either. Um, Hakushi, or Jinsei Shinzaki, is I, I'm always more used to referring to him as because the first time I encountered him, and this is why he holds a very special place in my heart, um, in the uh, late 90s, <laughs> particularly the early 2000s, or, well, the first year of it, um, I was watching um, most American wrestling. I was watching WWF, WCW while it was still going, um, and anything else I'd get my hands on, Japan. But the main thing that excited me, because I was a 15-year-old uh, kid uh, in a punk rock and uh, who just discovered alcohol, uh, was ECW. Um, and, um, you know, I think that the case is the same for a lot of us that grew up in the UK at that time, where we were beginning to try and source tapes of this stuff and, and watch it. And there is a famous matches. I think it's at Heatwave 98. Um, I think that's right. It's yeah, yeah. Jinzei Shinzaki and um, Hayabusa, rest in peace, um, uh, up against uh, Rob Van Dam and Sabu um, in a match that now I would watch it and have all sorts of criticisms of it. But at the same time, that's with pointy-headed twat, critic crit- head on. With my normal yeah. head, it's one of the most fun matches I've ever seen in my life. And at the time, watching it as a kind of um, as a teenager, I had everything that you, that you would want. It had ridiculously dangerous spots, and tables being sort of uh, uh, smashed. The whole ECW sort of a uh, smorgasbord of, uh, of nonsense and shenanigans. Um, but and that was when I first became aware of him. And I think he's a solid hand in, in WWE um, as, as Hakushi. He doesn't really get too many opportunities to shine um, and he's largely there to make other guys look good. Murray yeah, said he had a really good match with Bret Hart. That's right. He does have a good match with Bret. He does have a good match with Bret during that time. Which, Glad someone did. Yeah, hey. I know, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, but it's good. It's, it's, yeah, that's a decent match, that. 
Um, I think that's an In Your House show or something. Maybe. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's decent, that. Is uh, it yeah, with, like, um, Jean-Pierre Lafitte with, like, uh, sort of, like, yes. Brett opponents who were, like, great workers, but, like, not in maybe the best, like, place on the card or the best gimmick and, like... Uh... I think that's a great comparison, you know. He's never someone that I've thought of as, as in the top echelon of, 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 of workers. Um, largely, I think that's because he's, he can be a little bit functional, a little bit one-paced in some of his matches. However, when he's part of FMW alongside Hayabusa and, and these other guys, you know, that was also, that, that had a huge crossover appeal with my ECW fandom, you know, and I know FMW is a promotion that's important for you as well, David. Um, yeah. Like, uh, you know, and I remember him very fondly from some of those ridiculously crazy kind of like, you know, stipulation death matches um, 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 as well, um, you know. Um, so a guy that's really worth checking out, charismatic in his own way, and definitely has um, enough on his, um, his his CV for to be someone that you shouldn't cast off as kind of irrelevant. Um, uh, an interesting worker to check out, and we'll probably talk more about him, I imagine, one day. Hi there, everyone. Um, just like to thank everyone for coming along to this impromptu team meeting. Uh, I know you're all very busy, so I really appreciate you taking this time. Oh, I should probably introduce Daniel as well while we're here. As you usually works from home, and he's been off quite a bit over the last year. And I know you've not met a new start either, so... Hello, everybody! Yeah. Anyway, I'll get down to business. It's a very serious issue, and trust me, we did everything to make sure it didn't come to this point. Essentially, what's happened is we've lost the ending to the episode. Now, don't panic. It's basically because of the system issues I mentioned earlier and George's sound problems. And we are working on them, so hopefully we can start our ending for the show soon. But I got this email from Charles, you know. You know Charles, the guy is always floating about. You always see him floating about the office with a laptop. Yeah, yeah, you know him. So I'll just read the email out for you verbatim, so you can fully understand what's happening. So here we go. <clears throat> Check out ProWrestlingOnly.com to explore other podcasts, along with match reviews, features and retrospectives. Reviews of wrestling books, video games and matches, playlists wrestling appearances in non-wrestling TV shows and movies, and more. You can also join the conversation by signing up at the PWO forums. We've been online for over a decade, and with over 2,000 registered members and an archive of over 4 million threads, our message board is a vibrant community all its own. Whether you want to talk about a specific match in our match discussion archive, take a deep dive in the Microscope forum, or discuss more general topics from wrestling's past and present, check out all of this and more at www.prowrestlingonly.com. Alright, so did you get all that? If you have any questions, please IM me or Charles and we'll give you more information. If you want to get a hold of us, we are at Puro Podcast on Twitter. As well as that, you can catch us on SoundCloud at the Puro Puri Podcast. We also have a Facebook page, Puro Puri Podcast. I wouldn't want it. It's system issues, you know what it's like. And yeah, um, just keep in touch. But just before I let you go, I think Daniel has a few words he wants to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'd, um, I'd, 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 add to um, you know the thing you said about pro wrestling only. That pro wrestling only has been a huge influence on my wrestling fandom. Um, and um, Charles, that's um, trying to take it to the next level, is um, really, really sort of um, working hard on this. So um, please, please do go and follow and support pro wrestling only. Um, it's a hugely important resource for wrestling fans all over the world. Uh, yeah. Um, and in terms of my plugs, um, you can get me on Twitter at the Ultimate Poo. 
I don't post very often, uh, but I, I've actually found that I use it more for DMs with people. Like, so I've had people that have listened to the show that have like DM me about like certain things about where can I find this match, whatever. Um, so keep doing that and um, get me on, on there. Um, outside of that, um, you can um, help me out by um, listening to, sharing and buying some of my music. Uh, I run a record label called Handloom Lament. You can find all our releases on handloomlament.bandcamp.com. Um, I can't guarantee you'll like it. It is a bit weird, but, um, you know, whatever. Uh, and that's about it, really. Yeah, uh, similarly, I make shite music as well. Um, <laughs> um, He's not wrong, we both do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, where is the lie? Um, yeah, uh, so I make, I make terrible music if you want to download it. Um, it's fastbuck.bandcamp.com. My friend also makes terrible music, so we have thousands of different pseudonyms. Um, go listen to all. I don't know why on earth you want w- to Waddle and Bollocks is a personal favourite of mine. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Uh, yes, as well as that, I would like to give um, a shout out to uh, oh fuck, what's her name? Let's see. Yeah, I'd like to give a shout to out to the Wrestle Hub who are doing a wrestling podcast awards. Um, they have a podcast of the year um, award with 112 nominations. That's none 112. Of which, 112. 112. None of which are us. None of them are us. Nope. And it's all your fault. It is all your fault because it was fan nominations, and I know this because I checked. Not one of you, all you spineless cowards. You craven. Even nominators for a while. Who do you think you are? You craven, quizzling bastards. Who do you think you are? Like, how is this acceptable? Like, just turn the podcast off. Straight now. Look, look, this is easily the best wrestling podcast in the world. Like, so there's absolutely no reason that you would not vote for a wrestling podcast in these awards. Are you trying to tell me that the ongoing adventures of Giant Barber in the IRA is not compelling? Off. I mean, right. I've seen I've seen some of the fucking garbage in that nominations. Really, Mate. really, guys, come on. I, I mean, I I understand that we did get nominated by everyone, but you know it was going to be too. You know, we didn't want a race for second place, so they just nah. There's no point. Exactly. We're above that shit, man. No. But that's not the point. You're all quizzlings, and yep. I Every hate you, one you, and you should all die. Um, yep. But but you know, listening to the Christmas episode, love you. Yep. Nice one. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> You bunch of cunt. Situation uh, where where Liger imitated um, Super Liger uh, Chris Jericho. Oh yeah. Going, Ask him. Ask him. <laughs> Ask him. I'm from Winnipeg, you idiot. I was just like, is this like did Jer- did Jericho do that like when he was uh, Super Liger and then just steal it afterwards or? What, I what, think what Super Liger was 1996. It was the start of the year, so I think they've just went. Oh well, Super Liger was a bust, but the uh, the ask him spot gold like yeah. it's like the cripple across faces. Like no, we need to save that for like future generations. It can't be lost because this uh, character has been uh, unpersoned. Well, uh, 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 at least um, someone um, was um, concerned about saving future generations, unlike Chris Benoit. Anyway, <laughs> oh, uh, oh, sorry.
we might have, might have to cut that out. <laughs> you know we're leaving it in. You fucking know it. Um, That's so, awful. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so, so sorry, everyone. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Uh, that, anyway. That, that's, that's one for the Patreon. <laughs> I mean... I mean, round of applause, and it's taken us 17 episodes to make a Christmas Bell murder joke. <laughs> I, I, think that, I think that's got to be a podcast record for any podcast ever, where just basically we've not mentioned it for 17 episodes. Uh, sorry, I've been watching the Italian crime series Gomorrah recently, I mean, so I'm just bloodthirsty. You, you, say, you, say, you say we've not mentioned Chris Benoit, but like all those wild Pegasus family murder jokes we made uh, back in episode one, all, you know. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Right, Let, let's move on for the good of everyone. Yes, please. Um... The Chicagoland area. All points in between. Down in Florida. Up in South Dakota. We are worldwide wrestling. And this man right here, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, is the biggest favorite at Bellevue. Bellevue? The Nut House. They love him there. They relate to him. You know, I, I beg to differ with you. I have really had a chance to get to know Hacksaw Jim Duggan over the past year. He is a great person. Not only that, he's a very intelligent man. Now, I know he comes... <laughs> Would you settle down for one second? I know he comes out. He waves the flag. There's his opponent, Steve Storm. He comes out and he waves the flag. And he, and he, he shouts, thumbs up everything. And he's the blue-collar champion. But he's a very... You ready for this? He's a very intelligent man. <laughs> and he starts to chant, would you stop, please? He starts to chant of USA. He is. <laughs> okay, the people from Bellevue are going to come here to get the brain here anytime soon. Storm sends Duggan back. <laughs> A slap to the chest. <laughs> Here's the whip end, sending Storm the other side. You can join me anytime here, Brain. A slam down. You're really earning your money on this one, I can tell you that. Right hand, side of the head. USA, there you go. USA, what a powerful man he is. Wouldn't you agree, Brain? <laughs> the chant of USA Duggan now and Randy Eller moves him back well I'll, I'll come back to you in a moment Brain as soon as you uh, as, as soon as you gather yourself here Duggan getting the fans behind him Storm from the neutral position side headlock right hand wanted to go with it and he's back to the quarter once again this is where you can get in trouble here in the corner, right, Brain? <laughs> this is unbelievable. Somebody get the hook. Brain is dropped off the face of the earth. The chant of USA. USA, USA is the chant. Duggan, former United States heavyweight champion. <laughs> and what's so funny about that? That's fact. Duggan is. An elbow. Duggan, a man who comes right out of that three-point stance with that big clothesline ahead. 
Former football player. <laughs> I mean, he is. He was, he was a tremendous college football player. College! <laughs> he really was. <laughs> and take, take a look at the power that is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Back to the corner. Sending Storm in. Here he comes. The big power slam. Spinning. Grabs the hand. Puts him down. And here he comes. The three-point stance that he learned in college. Oh, there it is. One, two, three. You can't deny the ability of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Are you okay now? Uh, fine. Is there a replay? Yeah, but let me take care of this no, one. No, okay? no, let me do it. Please allow, allow me. Yeah, let him let him earn his money this match. Mm -hmm. Allow me. He's got the fist tape. There it is, Brain. The tape on the fist. Hacksaw Jim Duggan wins the match. Tapes the fist and means business as well. Brain, it's all yours. <laughs> Well, here's your educated college man. <laughs> Slamming his opponent down. He jumps in the air, hits him in the mouth. That's your college grad there. Football player, intelligent man. Hack, <laughs> Let's see if we can't, Duggan, can't get Duggan to come over here. Jim? Jim? Uh, <clears throat> here, he, he's on his way here. All right, uh, we're going to be talking to Duggan during the commercial break, aren't we, Brain? And we'll be back with more after this. i got to go get a quick.